Hello and welcome. Coming to you from the Feywilds, I'm Josh. And I'm John, and I didn't realize Mimic Me tasted this good. Hmm, I find it kind of chewy. But this is the Geek ETC Podcast, where we dive into all things you can geek out about. So, um, have you heard of this new game, Hi-Fi Rush, that just came out? I've heard of it, I'm not, I don't know anything about it. So, uh, Xbox had this um, event uh, the other week where... You know, they talked about, you know, upcoming games that they're releasing, um, some release dates for stuff. They mentioned, you know, the new Forza game didn't come out with a release date for it, which is kind of dumb. They, there was no talk of Starfield, which we had mentioned in the past, but they did say that Starfield's going to have its own event um, later in the year. And, you know, who knows? At that time, they'll probably say a release date. Um, so that's exciting. But they did something that they haven't done in a while, really since Fallout Shelter came out on mobile, however many years ago that came out. It's that's been a while. Yeah, right when that came out, right with Fallout Four, didn't it? Was it was like either it may have been right before, it was right before or right after to kind of hype for the game. Yeah, it was definitely a hype thing for the for the game. I think it came out with it. Maybe it was like a launch, like a side by side launch with it. It very well could have. But what they did on that. Uh, game was they you know no one knew about it no one heard about it they just announced it at the show and everybody's like oh man that looks awesome and at the end of the presentation they're like by the way it's out right now and everybody in the place is freaking out all the game journalists you know went to do- download it and her like quickly writing up articles like this new game just came out right now so they did that with this game hi-fi rush the same deal like there's been no marketing on it no one knew about it apparently it's been in development since 2017 Oh, wow. So, so like Flappy Bird. Is this, is this from the same Flappy Bird developer? Unfortunately, no. Because oh. uh, then uh, if you were to could download it on your uh, Xbox and then they would get rid of the game and you could sell the Xbox for like 10 times the amount because it still has that game on it. You know, a real quick tangent. I think Bella Ramsey, who plays Ellie in the in the new Last of Us series on HBO, she still has it on her iP- on her iPad. And that's what she said. She's like, Flappy Bird? I, she has Flappy Bird. She still has it. She still plays it. And then she's, she knows she could sell it for a bunch of money. But yeah, yeah. That, that was, it was an interesting uh, period of time when people were selling iPhones with Flappy Bird still on it for <laughs> exorbitant amounts of money. Anyway, uh, so this game, um, it's a, it's similar to, I don't know if you ever had a chance to play something like Jet Set Radio or um, what's the game that just came out on uh xbox a few years ago i played boom boom rocket with you i think <laughs> that was kind of a rhythm game that was more kind of a guitar hero type of deal uh, sunset overdrive okay what so i was I've, talking about i think i've seen some sunset overdrive the, yeah the stylization of those games just at radio and uh, sunset overdrive they're it, kind of a it's a different developer but it's kind of a spiritual successor it's a mix of those two but it's a rhythm based game that everything in the world is moving to this beat it is steady beat. Um, you can like all the environments, the lights, uh, steam coming out of machines, the machines around you and stuff. It all moves to the same beat. And whenever you attack, you're fighting these robots and stuff. And whenever you attack them, you know, if you hit your attacks on this beat rhythm and this beat, it'll give you bonuses. It doesn't really penalize you for not getting it on the beat. But if you do, and you can match it with the songs that are playing, then it will build up this kind of combo meter where you can do these like extra powerful attacks. And it's, it's really kind of uh, an interesting concept to 
as a rhythm-based game because there hasn't been a lot of things like this. But uh, I've, I've checked it out. I've played it a little bit and have really enjoyed it so far. I haven't got maybe a couple hours into it, but it's apparently like a 20-hour game or something from what I've heard from people reviewing it. Wow. Um, but I've really enjoyed it. Um, I know it's a pretty big hit, especially for something that had no marketing around it at all. Like, Is it a free game? Yeah, it's on Game Pass. Oh, that's right. You said it was on it. Yeah, it's on yeah, Xbox. Yeah, so it, they released it on Game Pass, and that's how they were able to, at the show, essentially say, and it's out now. You can just go download it, because all they had to do was flip a switch and make it available for Game Pass. Um, but it's it's a really cool concept um, if you're into uh, music at all. And they uh, also have, um, they've signed a bunch of uh, specific songs from artists and stuff, like the Black Keys and things. They have, it like, the game opens with a Black Keys song. And so they have some cool music in it as well. Um, I'm sure there's more later in the game I haven't got to. But uh, you also get some uh, companions in there that you meet. That um, There's a cute little robot cat that kind of follows you around. His name is 808, which for music junkies, music geeks, I guess, to be topical, um, you'll understand what that means. I don't, so tell me. Uh, it, it references a type of drum beat used in various uh, music productions and things for uh, electronic artists. Well, who doesn't like a, like a robot cat? You right. Know? And uh, there's no litter box, which is like no. the biggest problem I have with them. A, they hate me because for some reason small animals just don't like me because I'm so big. They really don't. But also, um, yeah, I don't like the smell of a litter box. No. I remember my sister's dog. She used to have a chihuahua that was scared to death of you. I never did for I never did anything to the dog. It was just like a natural reaction to some it's like I, I didn't think those things existed still, you know, like some big lumbering <laughs> right, a, a storm giant or something. Yeah. <laughs> from his perspective. Yeah. The artistic styling of it um is really cool. Kind of it looks like a cartoon. It's kind of cel-shaded in a way, almost sort of 2D in a 3D world aspect. Wasn't there a game back in the day that was like, well, what was that one? Okay, I think I'm thinking of that like breakdancing, like uh, graffiti artist guy or whatever. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but th- th- that was like a, like a hip hop game, wasn't it? Like a hip hop like oh, squirrel hate, or rabbit that. or kangaroo. Or... I hate that I can't remember. The, I hate that I game. can't either. And you guys like you guys run a geek podcast, but I forgot what it is. I never played. I think it was a PlayStation game, and so I never I never had it. Oh yeah, I think it might, it might have been a PlayStation game. Parappa the Rapper. Parappa the Rapper. That's I literally it. just remembered it. it off the top of my head. That's it. But, I was like, I have to go that, into my mind palace to find this information. I know it's in there. That's what I'm picturing is, is Parappa the Rapper fighting the robots from Generation Zero to a musical beat. Right. Do you uh, did you ever play a game called Beautiful Joe? No. Do you remember that? I think it was. I think I had it on GameCube. Um, that was completely 2D and cel shaded, and they. They desperately need to make another one of those. That game was amazing. You could control time and a lot of bullet time type of stuff. You're a superhero. But yeah, it's it's a 3D world and you have a um, a guitar that you uh, fight people with. Stuff. It's like a flying V uh, guitar that um, you can bash people with. Um, but it's a very, it, it it's kind of casual, but it has some humor elements in it as well. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And it even kind of like... Uh, makes fun of itself sometimes which is cool uh so like a self-deprecating melee based bard is what you're telling me in a way it's not super self-deprecating um that may be a little harsh but it's definitely more lighthearted and fun and happy compared to kind of the last sort of hit like this that we had high on life you know that was a much more different type of humor um but it's it's been 
really fun so far. Um, but for anyone who has Game Pass, uh, I definitely suggest, uh, or if you like music, you like rhythm games at all, definitely download it and check it out. Not a sponsor. No, not sponsored. Just a, a cool little pick that I've uh, happened to play uh, over the past couple of weeks. Um, I really enjoyed it though. Well, I will try it and I'll be bad at it because I am. We, you tried to teach me how to drum once. Josh is the is is the geek, uh, the music geek in this right. group, and he is he's quite the bass player, good guitar player. He's he's got a mind for all that. He he has the ear for it, but uh, I can't hold a beat to save my life. I can't even clap <laughs> in rhythm with people at like a sporting event. So I would do horrible. But what you could do was play Guitar Hero 3 on a controller. (laughs) (laughs) On the controller specifically, yeah. I was really fast at those buttons. (laughs) Because we were too poor at the time to be able to afford both the the game and a guitar controller. I'm also really good at naming bands. Uh, You know, Spitting at Spiders, that was our band, I think. Arrogantly Aardvark. That was another another good good one. one. Um, I feel like there was a couple more. We had a bunch. It's been so long. We had a lot of them. them. Those two were two of the, the the better ones for sure. Yeah, I could I, I could play on the you know on the controller. I'm, <laughs> which I guess you should be able to. Yeah, <laughs> since it's just a controller, there's not that much dexterity to it. But. Right, you're just hitting the four buttons, um, and that basically played that um, as the little colored circles would come down the track. Um, you, there would be one assigned to each uh, bumper and trigger. And I'm so, really good with a bop it too. if it says twisted i'm doing it oh i was never good at those (laughs) simon says remember the little circle like the simon says four buttons yeah remember that i don't i I didn't i don't have the memory for that you have a pretty good memory though so imagine elephant never forgets jesus (laughs) um, speaking of self-deprecating yeah but the you know the uh i like the i think among us had like that as one of the uh, tasks you could do is like a yeah was a simon says like boop Boop boop, and you had to remember that. I always, I was always really quick. I, sometimes I was so quick with it, like I got it done so fast. People don't think I was the imposter. I wasn't uh, too bad at those Simon Says things because because of that musical thing that I would hear the beat in my head, hear that rhythm, and I could just memorize what the beat and the the tones were, and then, and then go us, off that. Between the two of us, if we just put a Simon Says between us, yeah, and we play co co op Simon Says. <laughs> Let's play couch co op <laughs> couch co op Simon, Simon Says. Is, oh. is that a thing? Is it's there not a championship in, for that in Korea or something like that? I Do would, they have that? I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. They're better at everything than us. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, <laughs> we need to try that. Um, it, it seems pretty cool. You know what else is pretty cool? What's that? Money. It is cool. Yes. Money is very useful in today's world, and it is very useful to us as well. So if you would like to support us as a show... And a podcast, um, we now have a Patreon. Uh, we just set that up. Um, it is patreon.com slash geekETCpodcast. You can go there and uh, support us and support the show. Um, and that helps um, with things such as, you know, the equipment to do it. Um, audio Buying games, giving, doing game giveaways, that kind of stuff. You know, as well yeah. as just like general, like overall costs. Yeah, and- audio production, uh, some of the design work into the stuff, some of the stuff that goes into the uh, the show. Um, there's, uh, turns out, yeah, doing something like this, there's some costs involved in it. So that is true. 
That is very true. And, you know, the, the thing is, too, one of the things we, with with like a viewer supported podcast is what we're going for is right. we're not going to be trying to hit you with advertisements. No. Uh, other than ourselves, because we hope you want to listen to us for us. And so we don't want to be hitting you with being sponsored or doing something just to cover some of the costs that we could not maybe swing on our own indefinitely. Right. There's nothing to me more frustrating than listening to a show and then it, their conversation suddenly being interrupted to talk about you know, some mattress or some kind of, you know, vitamin supplement or something like that. And then, then jumping randomly back into the conversation. So, uh, it's our goal here at, uh, geek ETC to not, uh, ever have to do that. So, uh, but that is, uh, up to you guys. You can help us with that. So yeah, if you would like to support the show, um, you can head over to patreoncom slash geek ETC podcast and, uh, sign up. And when you do that too, um, coming up here soon we'll have some exclusive things specifically for patrons that sign up there um you can get some early, uh, early bonus content some extra content that's not available anywhere else and we're still kind of fleshing that out yep things like uh we're, we're working on uh our dungeons and De- dragons podcast that we're, we've been you know we're trying to curate really well right um and so with that you know you may have access to some bonus one shots or some behind the scenes content uh, around uh, our D campaign that we're going to be coming out with so be on the lookout for all that but yeah go uh, sign up and help us out and and uh you know this week we are actually geeking out about dungeons and dragons That's more specifically right. we're talking about classes and kind of like a little bit of intro to it and this is almost you know we've done like three or four we've done three episodes where there was a lot of introduction about me and josh and josh and i and um you know last week we talked about hogwarts legacy and we talked about the new video game but you know Dungeons and Dragons, you know, even still is a very hot topic. And, you know, coming out here in March, there's going to be a movie coming out. And oh, that is still coming out. That's right. Didn't like the, the something of thieves. The honor, amongst thieves. honor amongst thieves, Dungeons and Dragons. And so it is you know, whether whether it does like an actual campaign justice or whatever, it'll be interesting to see. But other people might have seen it. Maybe you're watching. Vox Machina on Amazon. Yeah, The Legend of Vox Machina. The Legend of Vox Machina from Critical Role right now. Maybe you've seen Stranger Things for the 10th time and you've seen it there. We've got to talk about what is Dungeons and Dragons and a little bit about what TTRPG is in general. And then we're going to kind of get you guys into some classes because we want you to be able to kind of understand what these things are uh, if you're trying to get into a gameplay and maybe even where you play a game at. Maybe you don't have people near you. Maybe you right. don't have a group of friends to play with and we can tell you how to do that too. Yeah, well, Dungeons and Dragons is one of those things that I always had an interest in, but it seemed kind of overwhelming to me when I was younger that it seemed that there was just so many different aspects and rules and uh, ways to play. And then on top of that, yeah, not knowing who to play with and, and stuff. Um, it just seemed overwhelming, but now that we've done it a good bit, it there's definitely routes to take that are very beginner friendly, very and, much, so. and very easy ways to get into it and play. Yeah, and you know, the first time I ever played Dungeons and Dragons, uh, I was fairly young, maybe sixth grade, and I it was like a like a youth pastor guy and i remember being like his single wide trailer and watching dragon ball z and he had like you know pepper you know eating you know pizza hut and (laughs) mountain dew like it was like a very it was a very interesting time and Mm. I, i remember being so bound to like the rules of certain games and things and one of the things i thought was so neat i remember there was a situation where we were playing with there was like a couple of older kids who were like in high school and so they had a little better critical thinking than i did 
And I remember it was all theater of the mind. And what that is, is that's when everything that the, there's a dungeon master who guides you on your journey and sets up some base rules and kind of tells you what you can and can't do, but they also help guide you to what you can do. And the, um, the system is based on a 20 sided dice, right? That's right. what the, it is a D 20 system. And so typically you roll like a, a, a 20 sided dice and that determines your success or failure on certain things. And sometimes you don't even need to roll one. Right. And then, you know, then there's additional dice for certain weapons do a six sided dice of damage, whatever number you roll on there, yep. it would deal damage for that. And I remember we were in a situation and we were outside of some building in that, you know, in that scenario. And the, I was playing some like dwarf cleric who had like a hammer and like scales, you know, like justice scales, you know, I, I don't remember what class it was. I think it was a cleric or a paladin or something like that. Something fairly simple. I don't remember anything about it, name, whatever. But I do remember is this older kid, we were in this situation. It was really bad, right? It was like, oh, we're going to get killed. And we had made it outside and all the bad guys were still in this building. And I remember the kid, the teenager was like, what's the building made out of? And the dungeon master was like, wood. Mm. And he held out his hands in a burning motion. He's with, he had a spell called burning hands and he, he held out his hand and to him. He was just like, I'll burn the whole building down. And I remember thinking like, Oh, I didn't know you, you, it was, you know, I'm used to like, you got to attack this person or do whatever. Yeah. That left an impression on me that unique way to play. Like, Oh, I'm going to just burn the whole building down. You got to think outside the box is what, you know, you typically think could be, you know, doable in a, a game, especially if you're a big video gamer, you know, there's a often a, a rule set as to what you can do and not do in a game, such yeah. as, you know, structural damage. There literally is code, you know, there's yeah. a code that you can't do certain things, you know, you can't walk indefinitely into the sunset. You can't, yeah. unless it's Minecraft, you can't go... <laughs> And maybe destroy a building because the building's indestructible, right? Right. But in this game, in a lot of ways, that's all dependent on your dungeon master, your game master, and the scenario, like the situation that you're in. And, you know, if it's one of those things where you have an imagination or maybe you feel held back, you know, even playing something like Skyrim, like Josh talked about in one of his top 10 favorites, it's one of those games where even still, you know. There's a lot you can do in it. There's a lot sure. you can do. But you're still held within the bounds of the code of the game. Yeah. You know, you know, th there's, there's going to be like the same five finishing, finishing kills or what slow motion things you do. Right. Or the same dialogue, you know, there, maybe you would be like, I, I bet I could make a better argument than these three options that I have. Right. And that's the cool thing about TTRPGs, specifically Dungeons and Dragons, fifth edition, which is what we're going to be talking about today mm -hmm. is that you have the ability to do what you want and um, hopefully if the done, you know, if, if it's not something silly, but you yeah. have the ability to make it your own. If you can think of it and, and think of something cool to do to solve a scenario or a situation or to further your progress in a situation, you know, if you can think of it, you can propose it as an opportunity. And then at that point, you know, it's up to your GM to decide, you know, they may, you know, think, you know, that's a really cool idea. You know, let's see if, if it works. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, so Dungeons and Dragons is a TTRPG or tabletop RPG, right? Just right. like a board game or something like that, except it doesn't have to be. 
you say typically you know for most of a lot of its life it was it was a it was a tabletop game that you had many figures you know that you would play and you would have a, a map a board that you would you know do the battles on and that could even be a piece of paper that you drew you know a lake and some trees on or you could have physical you know maps with terrains printed on them to play on and have uh, little trees or castles you would set on them to fight against bad guys but in today's modern technology that's advanced quite a bit yeah and so in those like you know when we talked about actual tabletop you could be on there and you can you move your character around but you're still looking at it from like you know that's just a piece of grid paper or Mm -hmm. whatever the dungeon master will hopefully be setting the setting so you can imagine the other things Mm -hmm. that it's not just grid paper it is a desolate swamp there's frogs croaking there's you know you hear water rushing and through the fog you see a figure moving right, right. that's the things that we're looking for we're looking for that kind of thing and it's it's so fun that when you get that your mind is transported to somewhere else and it's one of those games that when you play it you're not going to be able to think about the outside world that stuff's not going on it's kind of like reading a book you know if you're if you're a big uh, book reader and into stories and stuff especially fiction you know as you're reading it that a narrator or that author is setting a scene and they'll describe lots of little details and aspects like that to help you picture what you're reading in your mind and to create that scenario in your head with your imagination to you know put yourself in the situation it's the same thing with a gm uh, running a DD game and ideally what, what you're doing is you're working with a party of typically less than six or less people. Now I've seen games that have more than six. I think those are can be a little unwieldy personally. Cause then there's eight people trying to like really get in plus a dungeon master. So it makes a ninth person. It takes a good dungeon master to do that, you to know. reel it in and some, and some like quality other players who aren't going to totally, you know, if you're the quiet introverted person, you know, and then there's four people who are really loud then you might become kind of like a secondary character and that's not a fun thing to do not at all so when you when you create a character you get to decide where they're from their background who they are and who they are like what what is their thing and the most key important thing whenever you're creating a character the most important thing is why are they an adventurer why are they out on their own why are they with this group why are they willing to do this why are they not at home why are they not Mm -hmm. working at a bank why are they not working in a smith shop what happened you know maybe it's just you wanted to you're just like i'm you you could be a happy character that just is like i want to see the world wanderlust right We'll, we'll look at real world examples but you know a lot of people take the more edgy route it could be like I was kicked out. My family was killed. My, my mom died, whatever. The village was burned down. The village was burned down. Or you could have this sense of honor, whatever it is you decide, not the dungeon master, not the player player's handbook. You decide some of your background. Now there are specific backgrounds that give you a little bit of extra stuff that doesn't have necessarily have to be your primary. Like, you know, if you say you grew up in a big city, Mm -hmm. but then you moved to a forest and you kind of were, a forester there's a background for that right where that gives you those kind of like forest uh gives you like you know proficiencies with with nature with nature survival or survival right where if you're rolling to see if you see a monster or you know to to navigate through some fog navigate the fog or see if the water is clean to drink or something like that you were able to do that better than somebody who didn't grow yeah. up in that situation. And those those backgrounds can often more just serve as a, as a guide, not necessarily a 
you know, a permanent definition of your character, but, you know, more just, yeah, a guide to kind of a, a filter to apply on top of your character that you've made to kind of maybe help hone them in a little bit and kind of make it more of a polished uh, thing. Absolutely. And so with that, so when you think the, the cool thing about this is think about what your character is, what they like doing, who they are, how they act around other people. Is there certain things that they hate? There's certain things that they like. Is there certain things they won't stand for? Is it something that they're, they're having to grow and really try to embody that character? So when we say TTRPG, the RPG stands for role-playing game, and right. that's what it is. You get to become that person. Yeah. And if you've got a good group or even a bad group, become that person. If you want to change your voice, change it. If you can't change your voice, you know, say that I sing in a really deep voice, this, you right. know, or whatever, become, become that person and really, really, really dive into it. And you'll find that that game is so meaningful and so much fun. My favorite thing is being able to do that is being able to change who I am. And, you know, just like these other games we talked about, we've talked about in the past, we've talked about Hogwarts legacy. We've talked about our top 10 video games. Several of those included RPGs. Yes. We were still bound by these, the coding of those mm -hmm. games set up by people that aren't ourselves, right? right? Dungeons and dragons, the fifth edition, like the rule set, you get your basis, you get your kind of like, this is how combat works. This is how certain roles work. This is how, um, you know, some things are set up, but make it your own. And that's one of the things I love about it is it is you get to do that. It is, it is a scaffold and you get to build the building inside of that and you get to build it however you want it and make it whatever you want. And yeah. so making your character, there's lots of things that go in. So whenever you're making a character for Dungeons and Dragons, we're looking at a couple things. Mm -hmm. What race do you want to be? Right. Do you want to be an elf? Do you want to be a high elf? Do you want to be a wood elf? Do you want to be a dwarf? Do you want to be or be a human? A human, yeah. The you know humans kind of get a lot of hate in the not hate, but there's it's a silly. Everybody's like, well, this this world, the fantasy world, is full of all these things, and people just want to play a human fight. Yeah, if well, they do, yes, let them. Why do. would you want to just be a human? Well, may, there's a lot of good aspects to to that. They get some cool bonuses and stuff. I might talk about, but they do. They definitely do get some cool bonuses. And the other thing is too, it's one of those. I think playing a human starting out is one of those things that. It's a, probably a little bit easier for the. I was going to say that that as far as a starter race for you know, someone just getting into it, that's to me I feel one of the best races to pick because that's one less, you know, role playing aspect you have to even think about. Like you, you know, we all know how to be a human. Yep. Because we are them, but you might not know how a dragonborn, you know, would act or talk or you know present themselves or you know live in the world, what they eat, you know, how they sleep, all those kinds of things. So that's. You know, a lot of extra stuff you have to come up with and create. Whereas if you're a human, you know, you've got 90% of it down. You just have to, you know, be a human. So when you're getting into the game, you, when you talk to a dungeon master, whether it's in person, maybe you're going to join your friends group for the first time. Maybe you're going to play online on something like a, a TTRPG simulator like Roll20.com or, mm -hmm. you know, Let's Play Games or something like that. Uh, Albear Rodeo. I think there's a few others. If you're going to go on those and do that, talk to your dungeon master about their creation rules. Maybe they have some interesting creation rules. Maybe they have a level start. You know, some people start at yeah. level one. I prefer a level three start. That way everybody has their own subclass, which we'll talk about in depth here in a minute. Right. Um, they, 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 can have, they have a lot of homebrew rules. Like There's a, a you know standard set of rules, but uh, many times 
different GMs will slightly add something or take something away just to kind of mix it up. And, you know, uh, for instance, um, there's a entirely, uh, there's a weight system in Dungeons and Dragons. You know, this is how much your character is able to carry it on their weight. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that common t- uh, times GMs will just completely negate or ignore because, you know, we just, we don't want to have to figure out and deal with people being over encumbered or can you carry all this? Well, I think it's good to think of, yes, exactly. Like if your backpack's too heavy, that's one thing, but I, it is something I, you know, and I will say this is a GM too. It is sometimes something I will just use against you when, when the situation's right, when you're hanging from a branch, I might ask you like, how much does your backpack weigh plus you? Right. Well, that branch begins to snap, right? That, that, that you hear a crack. Right. And you watch as the limb begins to sway downward when you're, you know, then you got to decide what you're going to do with yeah. it. And do you I drop think, your backpack and exactly. lose all your stuff, but save yourself. Ooh. You kind of have to make decisions. So there's yeah, uh, definitely uh, pluses and minuses to having some of those extra things in there or not. Yeah. And so then, so you choose your, like, you know, choosing your race and then looking at classes, looking at backgrounds and saying like, I want to be a human wizard. I want to be a human sorcerer whatever mm-hmm. i want to be a dragonborn sorcerer you look at e- each race has their i think they're calling it something else in in the new uh dungeons dragon system coming out they're not calling them races anymore they're calling them something else nationalities know. or something a little bit more user-friendly i don't know we'll be saying race in this because that's what i'm most familiar with us in the fifth edition guide right so when you um when you choose that race, you look and there's a lot of different things that you get. For example, you know, a dragonborn gets a breath weapon, right? They get to choose their elemental affinity. Um, if you're a red dragonborn, maybe you breathe fire and it comes out in a cone. You can do that so many times per day or maybe you can do it as an attack or whatever. There's there's lots of different things that like each race has a unique thing to them and it makes it fun to role play. Maybe, you know, you're somebody that was raised by another race and so you still have your racial attributes, mm. but maybe you act differently. I never even thought about a character that was, you know, say a human but was raised by elves. Well, when we get to a fighter, I'll talk to you about one of my builds that I have. That okay. I like. But it's, it's those... It, it's so nice. And then you decide what your character looks like. And there is no scale. There is no, there is no sliders in a video game to where you like, right. you just give up or randomize it until you like, yeah, that's good enough. You choose every aspect of how you look like, or every, you get to take away something. You know, some people get so overwhelmed by the choices yes. that it, it takes it away. Give us, just look at pictures and be like, eh, my guy looks like this, right? Yeah. If you found a picture of some cool art someone had made online, you know, yeah, you know, this is, you think that looks cool. That's what you look like. All right. Sounds good. Exactly. You know, and if you, if you want to be wearing blue, you know, a blue dress with, with, uh, you know, green hemming, then you, you're wearing that, you know, you're wearing that starting out. You get to choose what that's like. If you're, if you have a background of a knight, you get to choose what your heraldry looks like. You know, Mm. do you have two cross swords or is it a horse on a green background? You get to choose all of that. There's nothing. That's what's so nice is there's nothing to keep you from being able to do that. There's no, presets there's no right. dlc to unlock it at, is all your choice and at the same time though that you know if you don't want to get super detailed with that you also don't have to you know you can put as much time or effort into designing your character that you want to if you want you know i'm i'm a regular male human with brown hair you know i wear some leather armor and you know i'm a farmer 
then okay, cool. That's that, it. That's your character. That's it. I think. Matter of fact, I think I was looking at your character's bio last night, uh, and on we play on Roll Twenty, and I, I dungeon master on there, and I was looking at Tartarus, your Minotaur, who's right? A, who's a barbarian and multi-class with a special class that we came up with for you, right? I I was looking at it last night, and you know, in your character appearance section. It just says like I'm seven something foot tall, three hundred fifty pounds. I'm a big I'm a big thing, and I carry a double headed axe. Right, that's all it says. Yeah. I added some more stuff to it last night that you'll find out today. Oh, um, but the, um, you know, you didn't go that much into detail, but you still really do a good job embodying that character. And I right. think if I asked you something about your character, even though you don't have it written down, if I said, Josh, what color is your belt? You would be able to tell me what the belt color is. Yeah, it's a brown leather with a gold filigree around it. There we go. So it's I one of just those... made that up, you know, just now. That, like, it, I have this image in my head of what he looks like, so you just kind of focus down on, you know, yeah, well, what would the belt look like? And what do I want it to look like? That's what I want it to look like, so boom, that's what yeah. it looks like. Yeah, that, and that's canon now. That's canon. That's what his belt looks like. So now if I said, well, that's a nice looking gold belt loop. Well, give me that, you know, and he was, yeah. I don't know. It's not real gold or that's good luck, you know, pry it from my cold dead hands or right. I'm going to take it from, you know, I'll cut your head off, whatever. So it's one of those things that you get to build a character that is completely unique and completely your, you know, you get to put your own real world stuff into it and then you get to roll for attributes you know, mm. or, you know, choose whatever there's, there's, what is it? Six, six, six key attributes. All right. Yes. Those determine certain things. Um, your strength score, obviously that has to do with strength based weapons, like how, how good you can wield those. It has to do with, uh, certain things like getting out of grappling attacks or, um, whatever. Each of these attributes also have like sub attributes that are based on like, how well can I investigate something? How well can I perceive something? How well, how good is my athletics? How good is my acrobatics? Can I, can I swing from place to place? Can I lift heavy things? That kind of, you know, that, mm. that all plays. How good am I at arm wrestling? How good am I, which is what Tartarus loves to do. You're I love to arm wrestle. <laughs> yeah. I, the amount of times, and that's the thing here, you know, here's a little thing for you guys who've never played uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I, as a GM, have enjoyed and have had to make up on the spot so many things because Josh's character, Tartarus, this big minotaur who's a little dumb or more than a little dumb, right? Yes. He likes to get drunk at taverns and he likes to arm wrestle these random people. And we've spent hours <laughs> probably over multiple yeah. sessions doing that, you know, and it's also a character flaw. You know, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where sometimes, you know, and you are where you, you have a thing going in the background where you do it until you get angry and then you storm off, but you have stuff yeah. in your background that, that you're getting upset so easily yep. and you're really embodying that character and he just wants to arm wrestle everybody or do whatever, but you have a reason why, you know, you have yeah. a reason why you want to don't feel, you don't want to feel anything. You want to get drunk and he may have had fights. some kind of trauma in his past, you know, that he wants to drown it out and that's his favorite pastime way to do that. Exactly. You know? And so that it's, it's so much fun. Like, you know, that kind of thing where, and I, you know, for, for the strength score, right. I make Josh roll and based on his strength score, he gets a little bump to whatever the number is that he rolled. Right. right? So if I were to roll a 20 sided die and I got a 15, then I add on top of that, my strength modifier, which would be an extra four points. And yeah. so that would make my score a 19. Exactly. And so 
And then there's also a thing called proficiency bonus, right? And that's how well the things that you're good at, it's like, mm. it's like a slow learn over time. And you gain that as you go through different levels, right? Yeah. So right now their proficiency bonus for, for Josh's and for my, for my players is plus two, plus three, three, plus three. So Josh would actually get, if he was proficient in that ability, like athletics, for example, mm-hmm. if he rolled a 20 sided dice and he rolled a 15, his strength modifier, he gets a plus four and then he would get a plus three. So he'd get plus seven to that, which would equal 22. And we're not going to get too deep in the woods with this because honestly, we could, and this is where we don't have a visual thing up for you to see. Right. And it, it, this is one of those things that you just don't understand that dungeon masters, game masters, whatever you want to call them, they are happy. They are excited to help you and teach you about their world. And if they're not, then they're not a good, then they're g- not game master. Then you got to break up with them. Right. And you got to find a new one, but that's one of those things, just like if I were to try to explain Monopoly rules to you, you just kind of need to do it with somebody. Yeah. And so we're not going to get too deep in the woods on the different modifiers or the different scores yeah. and how they equal out. Because this is one of those things, when you play it, it'll make sense and you'll learn it and people will help you the whole time. Right. We, for, for instance, like for me, like I said, it, it seemed really overwhelming. But once I played like a couple games, it started really clicking and made so much more sense just doing the actions and and learning that process yeah if somebody just sat on a podcast and did like a, a explanation of, of monopoly or or life rules right the board game mm-hmm. then it would be like what Hold on. i'm not interested in this but understand that it's not that difficult it's actually really user-friendly and if you're playing on something like roll 20 online it does all the math for you you just yeah. click the button at that that you know he says roll this and you do it it's and even it, easier it does the math for you you can turn on your little dice the dice will roll on the screen and yeah. there you go. You, that number pops up and you don't have to worry about it as much. It's even making me kind of, you know, like I said, or like you said, our current game, we play on Roll20, but we have plans to do a couple in-person sessions. And I'm kind of like worried a little bit, like, am I going to remember to add this or add that? And like trying to remember the actual mechanics of doing it in person because it's been a long time since I've played an in-person game. So that'll be a really, I think, an interesting experience when we're all trying to roll in person and add all the modifiers and everything. I think it'll definitely make the game time a little bit longer. Could be. Um, so with that said, what I kind of want to talk to you about, what we're going to talk to you guys today about is if you're a new player or maybe a, even if you're like kind of a middle of the road player, we're just going to be talking about classes and uh, maybe some unique ways to look at classes. I'm going to be talking about each class has subclasses, which are, you know, the the fighter right the fighter subclass we'll get to is a he is like the preeminent weapon user he can pick anything up and use it and Mm -hmm. there are subclasses right that are more unique for each of that make the fighter you know there's a samurai subclass which gives you the ability you know you start out and you get the ability to be proficient with calligraphy brushes and you're better at speaking to people you have you know that kind of thing going on. And you're able to give yourself this certain type of uh, strikes and everything. Each subclass is unique to those classes and it adds a little bit extra flair and might help you with character development as well. So we're going to be going through and talking about classes, a little bit of spells and a little bit of magic casting yeah. and, and some feats that you can take uh, as part of your class that I, right. I, I find very useful. That's and, right. And are, are good to help um, in some certain situations. And we'll explain feats. Feats are so at certain level points or when you start out, 
there, there are things called feats. And those are, these are like extra little fun things that can be tied into your background or little things that just make you, for example, um, if you, if you're a critical role listener, right? If you've seen the, the legend of Vox Machina, their, their second campaign, which will be coming to Amazon soon, right? The, um, the mighty nine in E I N when you watch that, you'll see that, um, the wizard character, he's able to remember things that have happened in the last 30 days. He can, he can remember anything that happened. He always knows which way is North. Like he's, it's called what that is, is that's the keen mind feat. Yeah. I have that uh, as one of the ones on there. It's this, it's super useful. So that, that is what a feat is. Usually people get it at level four. Some humans get it at level one, mm-hmm. right? When you start out, you get a you get a feat to begin with, and that's one thing I, uh, I like about you know the way you GM two is at the beginning of campaigns. You just give you can pick a bonus feat. That's right. You, know, you start out with one, no matter what class or race you are. I always do that, and you know why? It's because I find that it's an extra background thing. You know, it's an extra thing that helps you with your background or your character. And the same reason why I start at level three. Certain classes get their class subclasses at level one. Some of them get them at level two. And all of them have them by level three. And that's the reason why I start at level three is because I find it sometimes weird when someone is a certain class and they, they, they wind up specializing, you know, you're just a fighter at level two and then at level three, all of a sudden you've taken this samurai subclass without having to go into a whole lot of, um, training or whatever, you know, it doesn't, mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't make as much sense, you know, in the, in the old school dungeons and dragons, there was these long dungeon crawls. There wasn't as much role playing, you know, it was a mostly combat oriented slash traps and that kind of thing. And there wasn't like, I'm visiting a town. I'm in Baldur's gate. I'm in this town. I'm doing whatever. And I need to talk to the shopkeeper. Right. But now that's become kind of the gold standard. Most people are playing the game, not just to play dungeon hex crawls. They're playing it to go almost Tolkien-esque, go to a different world. They We're want, going to Middle Earth. We're they go- want to be in a fantasy story. They want to be in a fantasy story. And that, that includes different places in dark and damp dungeons, you yeah. know, or dragon's lairs or just the plains of hell. You, it includes all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So starting out with the first class, we're going to go A through W. The first class is the Artificer. All right. The Artificer is a unique class. It's it's fairly recent. And we're only going to do also, we're only going to do a, like Wizards of the Coast, the official playbook. There's lots of right. other people like I've created classes for Josh. Josh and I were talking about what a class to create for his wife for our upcoming campaign. Yep. People a lot make of homebrew their, things, a lot of homebrew things. People make their own classes. They make their own subclasses. And honestly, if you have a GM who likes that kind of thing, if one of those things doesn't fit you, ask them about it and maybe they'll help you mold or create their own subclass or class to meet your requirements or whatever you want. So the artificer, all right, it is the, their, their description masters of invention. Artificers use ingenuity and magic to unlock extraordinary uh, capabilities and objects. They see magic as complex system waiting to be decoded and then harnessed in their spells and inventions. So right. the artificer is like, you know, the preeminent uh, maker. They're not necessarily a smith, but they could be, right? Mm-hmm. They use their magic. They channel their magic into objects. Yeah, inventors of sorts. Inventors of sorts. And if you were going to use firearms in a campaign, they're typically like the firearm class. They are the right. ones with guns. I don't like running firearms because... It's uh, it t- a it takes me out of my my fantasy knight type of thing, 
Right. And I also feel like, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, especially if you're running like a more futuristic campaign in space or yeah. maybe a more like uh, steampunk or something like that. Right. Outside, outside of, again, the caveat of like maybe like cannons on ships or something. But even then, you know, yeah. for me, when when you are when in the world that you that is there, there is magic that does significant damage more than what a firearm would do. Right. I feel like firearms just would never be thought about. Right. You know, right. If that makes sense. And so the artificer, their key thing is they get to place their magic into certain things at second level. You know, at first level you get to spell cast, you get uh, some spells. Um, you, you don't have as much, as much magic as like a wizard or a sorcerer or something like that per se, but you're able to channel that magic in, in, into little things. Like you could take a, a small item and if you touch it, the, a light turns on that emits, you know, you've got your own little handmade, you know, light, or you could record a sound on a piece of object. Maybe you're trying mm-hmm. to, um, record somebody nearby or record yourself and, and you put it on a pressure plate that goes underneath a mat, right? There's lots of little RPG things you can do with that. Maybe that alerts you to, to a certain, you know, like, Oh, somebody's home. Somebody came here. You know, I know, right. I know I need to get, get out. Um, and then you get the ability to create magical items, which is a lot of fun. You know, who doesn't want to create, you know, a, a magical item? Um, there's a list that you choose from. There's, there's ones that are in the book. There are certainly, you know, you can, you can harness magic into your weapons, you know, make it more powerful. You can have boots that teleport you or whatever, you know, the, there's a whole list and you get to choose those inventions and you get to use those and as you grow in your leveling as an artificer you get to create more and create different things if you've played you know many kind of rpg video games and stuff a lot of those may have aspects of what would be called in enchanting or enchantment and stuff and it, it's kind of similar to that that you're applying some type of magic onto a physical object of some kind you're enchanting it with some sort of magical essence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so as the artificer, you you are unique. Now a lot of people when they imagine the artificer, the 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 thought usually goes to steampunk. It usually goes mm-hmm. to uh little circle glasses, uh maybe a know, top hat. Top hat, wearing a trench coat or something like that. But it's important to remember like if you feel like you're playing a more med- medieval or Tolkien-esque campaign, obviously somebody that looked like you know, a 1700s, you know, Victorian era, Victorian person. era person. If they walked into, uh, Gondor, it, it would be, it would yeah. just throw it off. You know, it, it would just throw off the whole thing. That doesn't seem right. So well, some of the cl- subclasses I like, you know, I, I, I'm going to talk to you about kind of the builds that I like with them. And this okay. is just, some of them are a little bit unique and it's just a way to think about it. It's just something that you can do outside of what you've always seen as like an artificer or a fighter or what have you. Right. So, my favorite subclass that I like for this is the armorer. Okay. okay. The armorer is interesting. The armorer is able to channel their magic into a suit of armor and they're able to take their armor on and off very quickly. And they get two options for their armor. They get one armor set that is like, you know, big, like kind of adds like electricity, like lightning to their gloves, right? Then they're able to punch and do a lot like lightning damage with their attacks. And then the other one is able to shoot lightning at a distance from like a, a node on your hand. 
Right. And that version is called the infiltrator version. And that's what I would base my character around is the infiltrator version of that armor because you actually get um, advantage on stealth, right? So you get to roll advantage, right? Means we roll 2d20. And whatever the highest number is, we take it as, and that's what you get. So if you roll an eight and a 19, the 19 is what you get to keep. Right. That takes, uh, that takes precedence over the lower number. So I imagine an artificer, an armor artificer could be very much like a spy or an agent. You know, when we think about Q from James Bond, James Bond right? He is an artificer. Right. That would be what he is. You're totally right. He is. So imagine you have that kind of thing. I imagine a girl, a woman, a a half elf or something like that. And she is the life of the party and she's good charisma and she can flirt with all the men or women and she's able to get information out of them. Right. Right. She's able to do that kind of thing. But then on her wrist, maybe she's got this dragon scale bracelet and she, with a flick of the wrist, she's covered in this black dragon scale armor from head to toe. The magic aura coming off of it dampens her steps and she's able to move around quietly, right? And she's able to, some of the spells that you get with that, you mm. know, as an artificer, you're able to become invisible. You're able to walk on walls with spider walk, right? You have that ability to become, and because you get expertise in certain skills as an artificer, you have the ability, right? Or I think it's, I don't think they have expertise. Maybe they don't. But they have, they, you, you are able to use things like thieves tools to break into things and you're able to create those almost out of thin air. And so if you were like to not have them, that ability there, you would have the ability to be a very competent spy and stealthy person who would be able to get around and where you're not, maybe the, none of the rogue classes really hit you, right? Which mm-hmm. we'll get into later. The, the, the quote unquote sneaky boy, you know? Mm-hmm this artificer build or something like that, you would fit in at a, at a medieval ball. But then also with a flick of the wrist, now you're covered head to toe in this dragon scale armor or the scale ready for battle, ready for battle, ready to sneak around, ready to be spy, ready to be ninja, whatever you want to do and go from there. And I think that's like one of my, one of the builds that I can't wait to play with at some point. And I think is very interesting. I've never played a, I've never had a chance to play an artificer. So because of that too, I've never, I haven't really looked too much into them or how they work. They're they're still definitely one of my more unknown uh, classes to me personally. And they are the newest class as well. They, they've come out, uh, I think it came out in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, which Mm -hmm. is one of the newer books out there. And that added that entire class. And so most people have only played it or they've only seen it played through that. My, my runner up class is the artillerist and the artillerist lends itself to being more of a, you know, you get to create, this was a subclass of, this is a subclass of the art of the artificer. The artillerist lends itself people with even the cover art, you see your character with like a cannon, right? But the cannons are described as either a flamethrower, right? A force ballista, which shoots out this magical bolt of force, or like this energizing cannon that can like heal your comrades around you, right? At fifth level or sixth level, you also get to turn a wand or a staff into an arcane firearm. So I imagine my character maybe is a high elf, 
maybe they're a siege engineer who who failed during combat or something like that and they're they they're able to invent certain things and they're out there and they've become an adventurer and they're able to harness their cannon it, the, the, the cannon is very small right so i imagine you get to start out when you as an art as an artificer you get two armor choices one is like the scale armor right which is a which is a good medium armor to start out with mm-hmm. i imagine when you create that the scales changing maybe rotating in a circle extending out from the shoulder and becoming like a shoulder cannon like a predator Ooh. right that's cool. Right? Or the flamethrower becoming, you see a dragon's mouth form out of scales on your hand and you're just able to use like Boba Fett, like a like a flame, like a flamethrower from there. Wow. Or a circle appearing on your chest and this magical aura coming out to heal your friends. So right. it doesn't have to just be, I've got this big cannon. I'm a, I'm a art tip, you know, that kind of guy. And then I, I imagine their, their arcane firearm is not a gun. I imagine it almost like a staff with maybe a dragon's mouth at the end of it. And they're able to channel their magic into it and they do extra damage from their spells when they shoot out. So almost like um, in Stargate or something like that where they use these staff weapons. Or even in a Skyrim, you can have those dra- dragon priest staffs. Exactly, that shoot out that shoot out certain different spells. Now you're able to channel that into there or do this all this extra damage every time you hit. And I think that's a really cool play. And the cool thing about the artillerist is they're kind of like one of, they're not the ultimate blaster, but the fact that you're able to do a, a cantrip, which is like a level zero spell that you can do at will that does decent damage or does okay damage. And then you're able to add additional damage to that from your arcane firearm. Plus you get an one of your enchanted items can be an enhanced arcane firearm. Essentially hmm. you can add another plus one to your attack and damage rolls to it. Right. You're able to do that. The force ballista, the force flame th- or the fire, f- the flamethrower. And the other thing, the, uh, the healing cannon, those are all bonus actions. So you can shoot, cast a spell, and then do another force ballista at range. And you can put decent damage down range for what is kind of like a non-martial class. Man, like, like I said, I haven't looked into much, but now I really want to make an artificer class. Like I said, I hadn't read much, but everything you're talking about sounds super awesome. And I'm already having, you know, ideas pop in my head of characters and things to do. So that sounds really cool. Yeah, so that's that is my thought. So those those are two subclasses I like. There's two other ones. There's like a alchemist and a uh, battlesmith, and those are both interesting classes. One, the battlesmith, you get like this little companion, you know, like this little robot kind of companion. You know, you don't have to go steampunk with it. You can go medieval yeah. with it. You know, the you watch uh, what was it that Jason and the Argonauts or whatever. Oh, yeah. know, there's like a little clockwork bird in that. You know, like clockwork owl that flies around and that's bronze age. So feel free to like dive into that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So next class. So going in order. Barbarian. The barbarian. Right. Which again, like you mentioned earlier, this is the class that Tartarus, the Minotaur play in our current game is. Exactly. Um, So yeah, I've, I've had, I have had some experience with barbarian. So the description reads as this, for some, their rage springs from a communion with fierce animal spirits. Others draw from a roiling, a, a roiling reservoir of anger at a world full of pain. For every barbarian, rage is a power that fuels not just a battle frenzy, but also uncanny reflexes, resilience, and feats of strength. Right. So with that, the kind of main uh, berserkers, they're, they're the ones that, you know, when when stuff goes down and you're in the heat of battle, they're the ones that run in head first to engage the bad guys head on, you know, 
take the damage, deal out the damage, and just uh, cause some havoc. Yeah, exactly. So the and, and they are very when you look at like Viking lore or something like that. There is a subclass for the barbarian called the berserker, but the entire class seems very berserker esque, right? They're able to right. kind of shake off pain from certain things. They're able to like do these uncanny feats of strength and these crazy wild attacks that just yeah. hit through people's defenses. But just like all you know. The, like all Vikings were not, you know, raiders. Not all Vikings were, you know, like people out there. There were there were farmer Vikings. There were yeah. Viking itself, to quote unquote, is is the term for those guys. But there is no, not everybody is a berserker, right? Not everybody is out there. So not all barbarians. Not everybody that lives at the edge of the world. Not everybody that does that kind of thing is a barbarian in the D and D world, right? They are. Um, they are specific, you know, martial characters, which means they use a lot of weapons, um, to do damage. They're not magic casters necessarily. And right. they, they are able to go hit hard and be the kind of person that leads the fight, taking the damage. Now, one of the misnomers is, is a lot of times and, and Tartarus does this, but I like the way that Tartarus does it. But a lot of mm-hmm. times the barbarian is the dumb guy, mm-hmm. right? Tartarus, it's funny because you've got the deep voice for him, yeah. right? He's the big minotaur guy, but he also didn't see a lot growing up. Yeah. Uh, just as a little insight on his background, he spent much of his life in a stuck, you know, in a labyrinth underneath of a castle serving for a corrupt king. So he... Uh, missed out on a lot of, uh, I guess just learning a lot of things about society and how to act and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And, you know, he just had to essentially had a life of survival. Yeah. And he didn't go, so he didn't go to school. I, you know, he wasn't in school. He was, you know, subjected to pretty much like a, you know, a life of servitude yeah. and in a dark, damp place. So his intelligence being a little bit lower makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but, Barbarians don't just have to be a big dumb guy. Oh no, you not know? at all. They can be whoever. And one of this is this. So talking about subclasses, the berserker subclass is a great one. And I think it's probably one of the more played ones than anything. So I'm going to talk about two other subclasses. One of my I like path of wild magic, mm. right? And for me, it it's almost like you don't get to choose to be a barbarian at this point. You are by barbarian by circumstance or happenstance, right? And so I imagine one one of the characters I imagine for this would be a furbolg, right? Mm-hmm. Furbolgs are these elf-like creatures, but they're big. They're much larger. They're usually over seven feet tall. Yeah. They typically have kind of a bluish skin with reddish hair, right? Now, if you want your character to look different, that's good. You can do that. That's mm-hmm. what D&D is right. about. But generally speaking, the class description, the race description, they are bluish tint, red hair, kind of pointy ears, and they are very large. And I imagine, and they're kind of known as like a peaceful people. They have this innate magic that allows them to talk to flowers and plants and birds and, and animals and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they're more like guardians of the forest than anything else. And they kind of live that more peaceful, wise type life. But I imagine a fur bulk on a ship. Maybe he's a fisherman for a local village. And one day he casts his net out. He pulls up. A crystal ball. Maybe he pulls up a staff or something like that. And as he gets it on board, this magical energy erupts and strikes him. And 
slowly he finds that he can't control like he just becomes angry without without reason right and he lashes out at these people and he slowly is ostracized because now he is no longer part of that peaceful community right, and right. he finds himself on the outside so this wild magic barbarian they're able to like harness this energy and whenever you go into your rage right you go into this ability like you know the rage is the specific like barbarian class feature class feature where you you're, you rage and you you uh, are able to withstand the damage and take the hits and do the damage you also get to what's called a wild surge right a mm-hmm. wild magic surge where you roll a dice and it determines what happens right whether maybe you're able to teleport up to 30 feet yep. maybe this beam of energy comes from your chest and does damage that kind of thing so you don't have to necessarily be dumb you could be somebody that's actually really really kind but you you have this magic inside of you that's just always ticking you never know when you're going to explode and when you do explode into violence you know it's unlike you know it's unlike how you are in mm-hmm. your personal life you know so I like that one quite a bit. You know, they're able to see a lot of magical things. And with like a furball or somebody that has some innate magical abilities already, I find that that is like an interesting, you know, it's an interesting play. Right. And it, it, it and that kind of thought of the magic, the weave, whatever out there, it really, it really hits home for me. Right. That's definitely one of the more intricate and uh, complex um, subclasses for the barbarian. You know, you have a lot of a lot of different ways to play with that, and like you said, a lot of it's you know could depend on a roll of a dice that on how your kind of rage manifests itself, um, as opposed to the sort of opposite uh, the subclass that I play as uh, Tartarus, the Berserker class. That that is just purely about you know you take this rage mechanic and you turn it up to eleven. Mm-hmm. You know that when you do rage, you it's like rage plus, so you, you know you're able to get a an extra attack so you're just you know going full bore you know into into battle you're able to hurt people more you know do more attacks take more damage and just kind of disregard any inherent uh sense of your own health or well-being you know you're just there to accomplish the task regardless of any risk involved in it and you know what this and it the berserker is like one of the, like the kings of battle or queen of battle, right? They are, yeah. they are there. They are able to like hold the gate. They're able to hold the path and do significant damage. And they're, you know, they're, they're quote unquote like the tank, but that doesn't mean that they, you know, here's the thing. When we play, when we play a barbarian or do something like that, you know, be a good fighter or do whatever, but also think about like, what is this character flaw? Like, or what is this, you know, what is this person really good at? Because you could be a very eloquent person. You know, we see fighters today. We see mixed martial art fighters who are very good speakers or very good, you know, like they're very eloquent mm-hmm. uh, when they speak to folks and they're very intelligent, but they're also absolute savages when it's time for violence. And that's the way the berserker can be as well. You almost just well up and you do get this mindless rage where you are in it and yeah. you are able to do uh, significant damage and while taking less damage than your comrades would have. And that's one of the reasons why I like my my backup class would be subclass would be the path of the ancestral guardian and they're almost shamanistic they're able to like you use like this these, these spirits to like force people to kind of fight you instead of your friends and even heal other people so it's, it's almost more of a uh, they are they still get all the benefits of fighting folks 
but they also get the ability to be kind of like a utility for a barbarian as well. And I think that's kind of interesting. You don't see a lot of people play them. And I think most people don't because, you know, the barbarian is the fun hit people class. Yeah. Oftentimes when they want to play it, they want to do whatever can deal the most damage and be the most crazy. I love the idea. And as an ancestral guardian, you even get the ability to cast two spells, augury and um, what's the other one? The... Let me see here the augury and there's one additional spell that you get to cast at like a certain level and you don't even have to use um clairvoyance spell you can use your ant like it's, it's neat because you get to, even the clairvoyance spell it says you get to use your ancestral spirits in place of the magical thing that people other classes would use casting the same spell and i think those are neat you get this very shamanistic maybe you want to play like a lizard folk or you know somebody that has kind of like that primal feel to them and or you know has a deep you know like maybe it could be dwarves it could be humans maybe you're like on the on the the edge and you have that kind of viking or native american-esque um respect for the elders and you're able to like you're that shaman person maybe you're mm-hmm. not just this giant berserker guy maybe you're somebody that people come to for wisdom right maybe you're somebody that people come to and maybe you don't give the best advice ever but you're able to like take your ancestors you're able to summon that that those spirits and they help you when it's time for battle right and i think that's a cool one because it, it just adds a little bit of extra utility that sometimes barbarians aren't really known for right yeah that is one thing that i do uh and why i kind of multi-classed in my uh character that i was playing is um going the route of barbarians sometimes um it, it i guess it can get a little stale sometimes if like the because there is so much utility to some of the other classes in D&D that sometimes the barbarian, you know, if all you do is I'm big and strong and I can hit things, that's fun and has its place. But after a while, sometimes, you know, you see all the, your, your other companions, you know, casting these spells or doing cool kind of battle maneuvers and, you know, switching places with people and this and that. And you're like, well, I guess I'll just hit them again. It, it can kind of, there's times, moments where I've had it get stale for me. And so, you know, it, it's nice to, uh, have something like that where you, it could add a little more flavor to you know the way you play the character more utility yeah say. yeah exactly you know that the barbarian's a good class is a good class to multi-class with right where you get to choose where you get to a certain level and you're like i want to become x next you know what i want to take yeah. a level in this and i want to take a level in sorcerer i want to take a level in this and you can start building up and you can be certain levels it can be a level five barbarian that is a level seven sorcerer too right once you've yeah. reached that level and i think that's it, it does add a lot you may, um, you, with that you may even want you know just as an example you could you know be a level five uh fighter or monk or anything really but then you know you, you take enough levels in barbarian and you take three levels enough so you get that rage mechanic to use so you know you may you may not be a barbarian at heart or in play style but just on a mechanics thing being able to pull out that rage mechanic and take half damage can be really useful as just as a tool absolutely even. absolutely it is a very it's a very good class that sometimes is overlooked for um you know, even rogues, I've seen rogues built with, because a rogue, and we'll get to this later, has a special thing called sneak attack. And if they have advantage on an attack, they get automatic sneak attack damage added onto it. And what do you get as a berserker? Reckless attack, right? Which gives you advantage. So you automatically, you can be a berserker rogue. You can be like a really frustrated, angry thief or whatever who who, who gets... Who I'm, gets... I'm making a face right now because I never thought about that pairing 
Yeah. Of using the reckless attack. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you just kind of blew my mind. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. There are, and there are these interesting, some people talk about it being metagaming or whatever, but here's the thing. Dungeons and Dragons game masters, they, they, we will figure out a way to kill you or make it more difficult on you because we have that ability to do it. So if you want to have like somebody that does hit hard or does whatever, I'm glad you like it and you should do it. Now, I'm glad I'm gonna, Josh is making lots of I keep of still faces. making faces because now I'm like got like five different character ideas running through my mind for oh. a, a, a barbarian uh, rogue or something. We're both going to be making, we're both going to be thinking about subclasses and class guides for, for a while after oh, this sure. podcast. So, you know, what's not a stale character and what sometimes is a, um, but it's an interesting character to get into. And sometimes it's a little difficult for, there's a lot of different ways you could play this one. A lot of different ways. And I'm going to read the class guide. This is for the bard. Whether scholar, scald, or scoundrel, a bard weaves magic through words and music to inspire allies, demoralize foes, manipulate minds, create illusions, and even heal wounds. The bard is a master of song, speech, and the magic they contain. My first, my first character, uh, outside of the, the trailer Mountain Dew Pizza Hut character, <laughs> was a bard. And it was a custom subclass that was more uh, norse Ask. I was a scald. So in as a scald in that subclass created by my game master, you won't find it online or anything like that. I was more of an orator. I didn't, when I got into it, I didn't want to be the guy. I didn't want to try to role play singing songs or doing whatever. And when I read the bard, I realized that most people just say, Oh, that's the guy with the lute or the flute or the drums. Yep. And that's how he does everything. And he's, he's got to be a sexually aggressive guy. Cause he's got a high <laughs> charisma score. But you know, when I think of like actual bards, like in real life, like a lot of times they're like traumatized, troubled people. There's a lot of rock stars, right? We see a lot of musicians, you know, but you also see, you know, the very people that like inspire a lot of fantasy, somebody like Tolkien would be a bard, right? He weaves these tales and he's able to use his oration to weave the magic. It's through his force of will as a charismatic caster that the bard is able to do certain things. And right. The bard has the ability to be an okay swordsman if they want to be, you know, they, they have the ability to do some damage in melee attacks. And they also have the ability to, to, they are a full caster, which means they can cast spells, um, all the way to the, the highest level spells in the game. Once they reach the class requirement for it. Right. And so they are, a very interesting class to get into. So if you're like, I don't want to sing and I don't want to try to like seduce everybody, you don't have to be that. You can be a troubled person who's very like, who's able to say poems, yeah. right? Who's able to use a poem to, to inspire your friends. Or, you know, that you write a poem about some king to convince him to, you know, give you some aid of some kind. Exactly. You could be the guy, you could be the court poet. You could be, you could be the guy who, who meets with them and, 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 um, convinces people through or maybe you want to just get some extra gold for the night and so you do a stand-up comedy routine or you do a stand-up <laughs> you do a stand-up like storytelling routine where you you tell the adventures of your group to what's the, the deal with kobold <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> you guys ever try well i can't even carts and coffee with the bards <laughs> <laughs> there's a jerry seinfeld kobold yeah that would be great uh so you were somebody that just through your words, like through your, like you, you were not necessarily practiced with book or whatever. You still have this kind of sorcerer, sorcerer like magic to you. It's this innate ability to cast spells, 
Mm-hmm. But it's through your force of will and through like you, you're able to reach out and touch the cosmos, touch this magical weave that exists and summon your spells through that. And so they are great spell casters. And one of the spell subclasses I like for the bard, right? There are, there are a bunch, but one of the ones that I like is the, the college of creation, right? Mm. The college of creation is an in- it's interesting one. The, when I think of fantasy, I think a lot of people go to Tolkien. A lot of people go to Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit or something like that. And in the Cimmerillion, I probably said that wrong in the similar, like the Cimmerils, right? The, the mm. book, the Tolkien talks about like, there was essentially like this music that like create like this music that was used to like create the world huh. type of thing. And there's a character that you don't see in the movies, the Lord of the Rings, but he's, he's in the books. There's a guy and he's, it's funny that they didn't have him in the movies. It probably would have made the books or the movies a little bit more, uh, it would have made the, the, the Lord, the original trilogy a little bit more Hobbit esque. And that would be Tom Bombadil. Oh yeah. Bombadil. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, he's old, like he's ancient. He, he's preexisted everything. And I saw an interesting theory that Tom was just like a manifested sentient being made from like the original creation music. Right. And that's the reason why he always sings in the song. Like he's always kind of got this sing song voice, even if he's just talking regularly. And I imagine like the college of creation would be similar to that. You're able to create these like motes of potential. You're able to create, use your, the bard has what's called bardic inspiration dice. And as a bard, you're able to roll certain levels of dice that determine, you know, how much maybe you're, you're, you can give Tartarus inspiration and he is able to roll a, a D eight or a D six to add to his role on top of like any other things that he has. It's like a, you're like an extra utility person, but some subclasses use those bardic dice to add damage to weapon attacks or like the, uh, like the creation bard, they're able to add it to an ability check. Like, you know, just searching for something attack rolls or saving throws. And, they do different things like the, the attack roll. You actually add additional, it's actually additional damage instead. It's like thunder damage or whatever. Like, you know, when you're doing that kind of thing, the other thing is kind of cool is you, you get to create something so you can just kind of like magically create a, like a thing of a certain gold value. You can make a long sword. Boom. Right in front of you. Like apparate it out of nothing. Yeah. And so I imagine like somebody that's able to, maybe they're not a singer. They don't have a lute. They're not Scanlan short halt, you know, from, from <laughs> who's, who's just singing every single thing. Maybe he's able to just weave words like author would and mm-hmm. create these things. Maybe he is an author and he noticed as he, 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 his force of will was so strong that he noticed he was creating these things that, that didn't exist until he started talking or until he started writing in his book. And you're also able to create like a, uh, like a construct, you know? So I picture this guy as somebody who has like a dagger in his holster, you know, a sheath on his side and he's able to animate it. It becomes a sentient object for a little bit and it's able to actually fly around and do damage almost like the, uh, whatever that blue dude is from, Oh, uh, from guardians of the galaxy, from guardians of the galaxy, yeah, his Very, little whistle dagger exactly. that flies out. Exactly. And so when, when he gets the animate object spell too, imagine him having like six of those and be able to animate all of those and able cool. to send them through the air as well as his own special one that he's able to use his creating performance on. So it's like a neat class. It's like a, you know, probably one that's not been played a lot by people. I'm yeah. trying to kind of avoid some of those and kind of give some thoughts to it. And especially since the 
College of Creation lends itself to oratory. It lends itself to being able to, in the beginning, you know, the gods created this world. You're able to like summon that power through your words. Right. So that's cool. I, yeah. Again, uh, Bard is another one of those that I haven't, I've never played one. Um, I've seen you playing one obviously, but I've, I haven't looked into it as, as much as some of the other classes. So I'm not familiar with uh, some of the subclasses, but that's really cool. Uh, being able to just create stuff like that at will. Yeah, absolutely. The um, the next one, my my runner up would be the College of Swords, and this is the more melee esque one. This is probably a good one to get into if you're a new player, right? You can be a bard. You can you can essentially be like a Ted Nugent or something like that. Maybe you know where you're you you're you're a rock star, but you also like weapons, right? And you're also good at wielding them, and so you get a fighting style, which means you get like get to choose from two different fighting styles which help you with melee fighting yeah yeah and you're able to use your bardic inspiration dice to do certain techniques and maneuvers that allow you to do extra damage or knock people down or hit more than one target at a time and i'll say this specifically i think that the blade like the college of swords pairs well with somebody like a battle master fighter right you if you're able to maintain it and if you're able to like really use it there's all these different maneuvers because there's multiple maneuvers that the College of Swords has, the defensive flourish, where you increase your your um, armor class, the slashing flourish, where you're able to hit multiple things, or the mobile flourish, where you're able to move around. And then you pair that with someone like a battle master who has additional techniques they can use and additional dice to deal, like to add damage to it. You can do, it, it just kind of makes you this really we- moving, weaving fighter with who's just an absolute menace right. in hand-to-hand combat. You can do a lot of, then uh, with that, I feel like you could be very creative in your descriptive uh, things when you talk about, you know, how you attacked a certain person and, you know, rolling and dodging and then spinning around and blocking this way and then, you know, jumping and kicking off the wall to slice down at them and, you know, then swapping places with someone else to uh, bait and switch or whatever. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of very descriptive ways you could do that if you like getting you know creative and descriptive with your actions and you get the bonus of having those attacks and the fighter features as well as having some uh magical as <laughs> some magic that you can use right which is which makes the class even better you know adding those extra you know just using your words oh yeah to that's the point like you get all that stuff but then on top of it you can also just use a ton of spells you know in whatever magic you want as well from them being a full caster Yes. Yeah. So that's really handy. Something like dissonant whispers or something like that. I use that very, you know, dissonant whispers is this thing where they hear this, these whispers in their head and it does psychic damage. We talked about that uh, in our Hogwarts episode, psychic damage, but you get to um, do damage to them and they run away from you. And if they run away from you, you get what's called an opportunity attack where you can hit them again, you know, as a reaction. So it's like a little extra thing that you get during your thing. And I use that a lot, especially when we had somebody that was surrounded by all of us, I would hit him with that. And if it succeeded, he would run away. And then even if everybody was done with their turns, there'd be like four or five opportunity attacks on this bad guy. And right. it was it's a good just, combo. It was a, it was a good combo. I think it's only a level two spell. So it's something that you could get easily with like a level four, uh, bard subclass. Right. Right. Cool. So, Going next, we're going to, you know, I talked about the gods in the College of Creation and in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, you know, there are, there, there technically could be an atheist, but there's not really because there are gods and they are prevalent and the magic that they give to certain people, it would, people would know about it is, it is a known thing. So whether somebody likes the gods or not is one thing, but 
the gods do exist. They are there. They are very pantheon-esque. There's not like a monotheistic religion necessarily. There's lots of, there's a right. thunder god and a fire god and a forge god and all these different things that are very Greek, Roman, Egyptian-esque. And a lot of those gods are actually used in campaign. So the next class is the cleric. They are like the intermediary between regular beings, you know, humans, dragonborn, whatever, and the gods themselves. So their class uh, description reads, clerics are intermediaries between the mortal world and the distant planes of the gods. As varied as the gods they serve, clerics strive to embody the handiwork of their deities. No ordinary priest, a cleric is imbued with divine magic. So everybody thinks, I think one of the, the misgivings about clerics is, everybody thinks they're just the priest. They're your local preacher. They're your local Catholic priest or whatever. They are like borderline missionary slash, you know, champion, you know, they, they wield weapons. Mm -hmm. They have armor proficiencies. They are able to do damage with their spells. You know, they're Constantine. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> one of the things I think about, I know you're not, uh, as versed with like game of Thrones, right? But yeah, yeah. there's, there is a character in that in game of Thrones who's Thoros of Mir. And Thoros of Mir, all we ever do is see him sword fight. You know, he's like this drunken guy who's like, you know, he was a red priest of Shai, and he came to the, uh, the, the kingdoms of Westeros to be like a missionary for them. And he failed. And so instead, you know what he liked doing? Drinking and fighting. And that's what he did. He was just kind of like this court person that hung around. He didn't really believe anything, but eventually he was able to use the magic from that God to like actually do things. And it kind of lended him to like believe in more stuff. It gave him some belief. It wasn't until he was actually tested that it became like prevalent that he was able to do these types of things, like return people from lot, you know, re like resurrect people. Oh. And so th you can be that kind of flawed person and still be a cleric. You right. know, clerics are still people. They're not always going to make the right decisions just because their gods say so. And some gods don't make good decisions either. You know, if you're a cleric, you're the war cleric. You probably don't care whether people execute prisoners or not, right? Right. He likes war. The, the war god likes war. That's why he exists, right? He gives people benefits on the battlefield or he does whatever. That's his nature. Exactly. Ares doesn't care whether people die in combat or not, you know, and he would, he would, you know, a, a war cleric would probably be happy about that. Right. Whereas a life cleric would be like, Hey, you know, let's, let's not do that. You know, let's, let's look at that. But he would also understand, or she would also understand the nature of life. So my two favorite clerics are the Tempest cleric. I knew you were going to say that. Cause one. well, that, it's one of the coolest ones. It is one of the coolest ones. And you know, people, it, I don't know. I, I think it's just dope. I love lightning damage. I love thunder damage. I love like the Thor I was idea. Say, yeah. Thor S a lot of Thor kind of things. Exactly. And you 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 have these cool spells that aren't exactly um native to the cleric spell list that you get, like call lightning that, that's or another, thunder uh, wave. Uh, aside comment is that depending on what class you take, like they're in D and D, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds, five hundred plus spells that you can choose, but some of them are class specific, mm -hmm. so you can only take them if you are a specific class. But there could be certain sub features in some of these subclasses that allow you to have access to spells, like you mentioned, that you don't normally in the class without uh, taking a subclass. Exactly. Yeah. So those 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 sub, those spell lists are really neat to have. Like when you get something that 
doesn't give you things from the cleric spell list and it comes straight from like, you know, like the call lightning spell is from, you know, I think it's, it's a, a druid. It's thing. a druid spell, yeah. right? You get that as a cleric. It's like an extra thing you get on top of all the cleric spells that you get. And it's an awesome spell too. It is. So there's so many cool things. So like the, 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 the Tempest cleric, you know, at one with this, with the storms, you know, they have, they have this kind of like, if you really play into it, you, all these spells, you can RP things so well, whether it's a fog cloud, whether it's you using like your thaumaturgy or something like that in a, like a, in like a lightning or tempest like way, you get to add damage to your weapon strikes that does lightning or thunder damage. You Being get able to, to control water, control water, move things around. Yeah. Tempest cleric is one of those ones. It's just so fun and it's so primal and, you know, I think somebody like a like Aarakocra, right, would be a cool Tempest cleric. Somebody from like the the elemental planes of the wind. Aarakocra are like these uh, anthropomorphic bird people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're humanoids. They've got arms and legs, but they also have wings, and they, their heads resemble eagles or falcons or what have you. And I imagine that that is like a cool. You know, they don't live a long time per se. On you know, to the base book, whatever GM decides matters there. But they also have this. Um, you know, coming from somewhere where they're like in, like they deal with the tempest, they deal with the storms all the time. Maybe you're a sailor. Maybe you're like a, maybe you're a sea elf or a triton or somebody like that. They would also have an affinity for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think those are awesome. I think that's just such a fun, like, you know, who doesn't love, who wouldn't love to have the, like the abilities of Thor. You right. Know? You know, it's especially as a cleric, you know, you, you're guiding bolt. Maybe your guiding bolt looks like, the Zeus, like the lightning bolt from Zeus, right? You know, you've got that going. That could be really fun to play with, um, and just having that kind of symbolism behind that is is really cool. Yeah, I've I we saw a um, I, I was talking to Josh about the uh, Marvel superheroes, and somebody had created classes, like had created these character sheets based on different Marvel superheroes, and one of them was Thor, mm-hmm. and he was like an Asimar, which is like a kind of like a fallen, like an angel adjacent, you know, race, and was uh, a Tempest cleric, and oh, it okay. just made sense. You know, he's got his war hammer, and he's yeah, yeah. able to fly and do all these different things, so really neat. My next favorite one, and I this is this is one where I was talking about before, is like the Forge cleric. Right. I remember you talking to me. We, we had a discussion about that a while back uh, where you were telling me about one of your ideas with the Forge Cleric. Yeah. So like the Forge Cleric, you know, the God of the Forge, they, they obviously have an affinity towards fire. They're able to like withstand fire damage. They're able to take the heat of the smithing, you know, the, of the smithy. They can stand in the blacksmith. They're able to do all that. They're able to create objects using magic. They're able to create objects. They can, they can, they can channel their divinity, right? Which is like the, the cleric, the, all clerics have that ability to channel their, their God to increase or do a specific like thing with their magical powers that Mm -hmm. comes from the gods themselves outside of their actual magical casting. And like the forge cleric is interesting because you get to create objects like the college of creation. You, you, you create things. As long as you have a certain gold value of, of like, you know, if you have steel and wood and leather, you can create a short sword, out of the out of thin air, you know, in an hour, it just <laughs> just without having to work it, you can create a sharp short sword. You also get the ability to make one of your objects every single day magical, whether it's uh, armor or a weapon. So having that early on, which clerics forge clerics get their abilities at level one, they get their subclass at level one. So if you're playing a level one campaign and you're playing something where 
there are scary monsters who magical weapons hurt, but other weapons don't really hurt. The forge cleric can do that pretty early on. They can auto point. They can get their magical weapon or the magical armor that does an extra one AC. So it's harder to get hit or one extra damage and one extra attack roll, you know, one tier attack roll that gives you more chance to hit somebody. And if it does, it cuts through that damage resistance that they would normally have to a regular weapon. Um, that's super utilitarian there being able to do that. Um, are you, I wonder if like, are you able to apply that blessing to someone else's armor or weapon? It says, I'm pretty sure it just says an item you touch, right? And let's see. You can touch, you can one, touch non- one non-magical item mm-hmm. that is, oh yeah. So you can be just a utility as, as a utility person, you know, you've got, you've got a barbarian that, you know, you know, they're going to go rushing in front line. You touch their armor or their weapon and give it that bonus. Yep. You imbue it with that for the entire day. And that's, it's a really powerful because a lot of spells only do that for a certain amount of time where they make it, make it a magical weapon or whatever. <laughs> I was just thinking, I guess, uh, you don't often see, uh, many D and D parties where you have two characters playing the exact same class and subclass. But I guess in, in uh, theory, if you had two forged clerics and like a barbarian, you know, one person touches their armor, the other person touches their weapon and they're just, you know, super like amped up and well, like, the barbarian won't have any armor probably, but okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. Gotcha. <laughs> a fighter then a fighter. The fighter is a good example because <laughs> a fighter is a really good example. Right. Um, Yes, you, you could do that exactly if you wanted to. I think a forge cleric is also one of those things where you could, when you go to a town, maybe you rent the smithy for a day. The GM gives you abilities to like try to create your own weapons. Like, you know, who doesn't want to have their own sword that they made or whatever? And your GM can have a lot of fun with that too. Like, okay, well, your 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 long sword is actually when you make it, you didn't do that good a job. It's not as good as slashing, but you actually now does piercing damage instead you notice it's like you you know that you know here soon you're gonna be you might run into some werewolves so you rent the forge for a day and imbue some of your weapons with silver exactly you know that could be super useful in a situation or a grill with silver that's a callback right build yourself a silver grill there you go build yourself a silver grill and you can get full damage go listen to episode one (laughs) from that so that RP, right? Role playing, having a cleric who's like, I, you know, maybe you just go to forges when you get there. Maybe you come to a town and you go in there and you, you take some of your holy water and you bless the, the, the blacksmith with it or something like that. Or maybe the blacksmith doesn't want any part of that. And you try to like, you know, missionary to him, you try to try to convert him or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, you talk about the things that you can do and show him what you can. You know, one of my ideas is, is it, is a, we talked about people being raised by other races. I have this idea for a Goliath, right? Who's this big, huge hulking guy who's also like seven feet tall. I imagine him being raised by a dwarf who is a, a forge cleric, you mm. know, and he be, himself becomes a forge cleric before being kind of kicked out, like realizing that people just want to use him for his size. And he becomes a certain type of fighter after that. Right. And, you know, the idea of this huge seven foot tall guy, not, a, not really associating himself as a Goliath, but really considering himself a dwarf and taking the background <laughs> where he's like, you know, he takes the, the, the artisan background where he's got that going for him. You know, he speaks in dwarvish and he doesn't have a help. Maybe his helmet has like a beard, but then he takes it off and he, does, to it. he doesn't have a beard himself. You know, I think that's a fun, like it could be fun. That could be a fun one, but yeah, the clerics very neat. There's lots of like really interesting uh, examples of them out there. 
and you know they they don't always have to be perfect. They don't always have to be the healer either. You know, you can heal things. You know, people made fun of from from episode or from season two of of Critical Role. Jester, she played an arcane trickster or whatever. She played, you know, her god was like a trickster god, mm-hmm. like a Loki or something to that effect, right? And she wasn't always taking healing spells. Like that wasn't her bread and butter. She would do it occasionally, but she took a lot of other fun utility spells where she she really played into her character. Yeah. So I also we at GTC really want you to play what you want to play and whatever's yeah. fun for you. And I think that if you don't want to be a cleric, if you don't want to be relegated to, to, to like sitting in the back lines, heal you, heal you, heal you with my magic, do what you want to do. If you want to be the Tempest cleric and you want to run to the front and use a thunder wave or call lightning down and spin your hammer around and yeah. do that kind of thing, do that. You can also be scary. Right. And then let someone else worry about healing. <laughs> Have a second cleric in the party like I was talking about. Yeah, well, they, they wound up doing that. And one of them was more of a healer. He took more of a healing class, oh, yeah. like a healing subclass. And yeah, it definitely changed that. That's true. That leads us into the next the next class, the druid, right? And just like the druids, you know, when we think of druids, if you're not familiar with D&D, you often get that Celtic kind of shaman type thing. You know, they were this class of people, uh, this kind of like religious caste in, in certain Celtic um religions and peoples but in the D world they're kind of like the they commune with nature they have the the inherent ability to like understand things and they are you're going to find them in the woods more right than likely and so the, the the class description for that says whether calling on the elemental forces of nature or emulating the creatures of the animal world druids are an embodiment of nature's resilience cunning and fury they claim no mastery over nature but see themselves as extensions of nature's indomitable will. I like druids. I think druids are very neat. One of my first ideas for a character that I didn't wind up going with was like a, was a druid, was a druid, like a circle of the land, which I'll get to here in a bit. I think they're really neat. They are also full casters. They have the ability to cast the most powerful spells. If they reach the certain class requirement for it, the level requirement. And, they are powerful. They have a lot of utility. They can transform into animals at level two. They have really powerful spells. They, you know, nature itself bends to their will, controlling water, controlling air, calling down fire, making, you know, acid coming out of your growing claws, becoming a primal creature and attacking and acid coming from your teeth. You know, they are very neat, you know, imbuing your staff with magical energy and doing more damage on your wood staff. They're just one of my, they're one of those classes that they always get played that way. You know, they always get played in a certain way, but druids can be from all over, you know, druids can be, you could be like the keeper of like a religious forest, but also still live in the city. But you you could also not even, you know, be a forest thing. You could be a druid from the Rocky Mountains in a a volcanic area or something. Which which gets me to my first favorite subclass, which is the Circle of the Land. Mm. The Circle of the Land druids are the are interesting to me because they they can transform into animals like all druids can, right? But they are the most powerful spell users. And the druidic spells are very powerful. And one of the things that kind of halts, like that can be a hang up. And we see it sometimes in like one of our games where magical users are sometimes afraid to use their leveled spells because they, you only get so many per day, Mm -hmm. right? The 
circle of the land druid can actually recover magical energy almost just like a wizard can they can sit down and recover a certain amount of spell slots so they can expand like they can they can use more spells in a day than a regular magic caster could okay and i think that's super and they also get spells that aren't available to their class normally right so you choose whether you want to be maybe you're from the arctic arctic maybe you're from the coast or a mountain if you're a mountain um druid you get access to like a really powerful spell lightning bolt right which does damage like it's i think it's 120 feet and it's a bolt of lightning that does a ton of damage similar to a fireball to a fireball it is it is a ton of damage it can hit multiple characters yeah that, that's an awesome benefit being able to just it goes in a straight line and if there's a bunch of people in a line like that they can just uh all get hit by it exactly yeah they're all going to take damage from it even if they do a good like even if they save they'll still take half damage from it and i like that you really manifest this magical energy i think the animal part is really neat of druids but i think it's more of utility thing you know yeah, yeah. certain like the subclass the circle of the moon they get to they get to be turned into more powerful animals but I think the utility of like a druid where they're able to turn into an animal for a short period of time is pretty interesting. And others, like there's spells out there that do almost a good, as good a job, like polymorph. You get access to polymorph as a druid, but other classes can also turn into animals using that spell. Mm-hmm. So it's not the most unique thing in the world, but it is, it is interesting. Right. So I like that one just because they're these pre- preeminent like Druids, they are the Radagast the Brown, right? They are they That's a have, good comparison. They have this ability to really harness this extremely powerful magic and use it for utility purposes, for attacking people, or you know, just for what for the good of, of others. You can also heal people. You can create food and water if you if you're a desert one, right? You can feed people. You can. You can help your party get across somewhere that they they weren't, and you were also better at moving across like rough terrain. You know, you are at one with nature, and I like the circle of the land for that reason. That's really cool. Having again the utility of that and being having access to all that extra stuff because spells uh, in D anD D, you know, again can add so much. And spells, you know, even if they have a even if they have a kind of dedicated purpose on what they're supposed to do you know, you can get as creative as you want with certain spells. And there's a lot of creativity and utilityness that comes with uh, some of those spells, such as something like spider climb, you know, being able to navigate certain ways, you know, well, you can use that to sneak into a second story house or a third story house, whereas you couldn't normally before, or, you know, go up a side of a cliff or something. Yeah, I think spider climb, you could even give it to a friend, right? I think it's just a creature yeah. you touch. So, you know, you're rogue or you're whatever. You know, maybe rogue is like, I can't climb 30 stories. Well, now you can, you buddy. Can now. You can walk straight up on walls. You know, you can yeah. go straight up Toby Maguire and just go up that. Um, yeah, I I love the spell casting that you get from, from druids. I think they're really interesting. There's certain spells like fire sword or, you know, other things. It just it's just like this neat visual you know these mm-hmm. guys who are cloaked in nature and out there and they're w- ready to wield elements to to their will and my next subclass that i like for that right and there's multiple subclasses for the for the druid is the, <laughs> the circle of spores and the reason why i love that one is because of your wife your wife plays a circle of spores druid, a little frog with a mushroom on its head, mm-hmm. a little, with a little country voice accent to it. And 
I like the role playing I get from it. I yep. like the role playing that she does with it. And I also think it's just an interesting class. You get a couple, you get some interesting spells with it. Um, things like the, 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 the cantrip chill touch. That's a good range spell that does necrotic damage. Yep. You get um, blindness, deafness, you get um, animate dead. And it is really this like kind of borderline necromancer. And, you know, we've been watching the last of us. <laughs> you kind of get that whole like animate zombie thing from it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> you that's know, a good point. you get this mushroom kind of like animate the dead, but you can do it in a good way. You know, you're not necessarily trying to kill everybody in Austin, Texas or whatever. Right. You know, you're, you get like the mushroom, you get, you get to raise dead in front of you. You get to raise people around you. You get to create like these symbiotic entities that, that can help you with things that can, you can also heal. Uh, you can do like, you can do um, a lot of healing with it. You can um, damage people just just as reaction if they get within a certain amount of feet from you you can do damage with just these spores these imperceivable spores that surround you at all times yeah she's put a lot of uh, good utility playing that class in the game that we play for sure um and, and come up with things that i i don't know that i would have thought of yeah i i when i saw the circle of spores i wasn't like oh, i was uh it's interesting you know maybe i'd maybe i'd want to play a circle of the moon or something like that <laughs> but now that i've seen her play it in the way that she does i really like the way that the circle of spores plays out. And I think that it's very, it just animating dead, you know, in, in some of the things that she wants to do, you know, it's like a reaction. If somebody dies within so many feet of her, she can just raise that person to, to and now they're her thrall. Yeah, and now we've got a companion that can help us fight people. They may not be very strong or have a lot of health, but you know, having, you know, it, it may sometimes take just one extra hit to, to drop a bad guy or yeah. Or just a meat shield where they use up one of their attacks True. on them, you know, or even at a distance, you know, it's one of those things where, that when she did that for the first time, I was like, oh, I did, you, you did, you haven't done this in a while or you've not done yeah. it at all. And this is fun that you did that. You know, like, Hey, I'm going to, I wasn't even expecting it. That's one of the things I'm sometimes bad about as a GM. I forget what my characters can do, but it's also a good thing because they do these things. I, I design some things and they, they can just circumvent them yep. and just like real life, you know, not everything is built to, for you at like a certain challenge rating, you know, like, you know, not everything is stairs, you know, <laughs> like, you know, if it's not trying to make us stronger all the time, there are some flat places to walk. There are escalators. Right. Right. And, you know, sometimes when I'm like, oh, oh, I've totally forgot you could do that. You know, now you have like maybe I wanted the character to fall into the ocean with his weapon, that magical weapon I wanted you to recover. And. He's like, no, 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 they're, they're alive. They didn't fall down they <laughs> I used my reaction. He died right in front of me. He is now a zombie under my control. You know, yes, I can make him dive down. I can make him do whatever. You know, I love that. I love the way she's done it. I love the damage that she does. You know, every once in a while, my char a character will be near her and she'll, she'll be like, Hey, how, how close is he? I'm like, Oh, 30 feet. And she'll like, he needs to roll a constitution save, whether he's going to take necrotic damage or not. Right. Just from being in the area because the poisonous spores. And yeah, I love it. It's a very interesting, especially her little frog folk with the mushroom. It just like it's, really, it's, yeah, it's, it's very kind of cottage core. She's really into the kind of, uh, cottage core aesthetic and, uh, a lifestyle and stuff. So that, that really fits that aesthetic and play style. He's it, it, a really cool character. Yeah. I love it. Uh, our next class is the fighter. And some people think it's a boring class, whatever. It is also probably one of the easiest classes to play as a new person because you are just kind of worried about hitting people. But the subclasses add a ton of flavor to it. Right. Yeah. If you uh, want to, with the subclasses that it has in there, um, you can, uh, like you said, it is, it can 
be played very simply, but with something like the Battlemaster, you can make it very complex if you're an you know, experienced seasoned D&D player. You know, you can add a lot of complexity and a lot of different skills to it. Yeah. Um, the fighter, the fighter subclass or the fighter class reads fighters share an unparalleled mastery with weapons and armor and through a knowledge of all skills in combat, they are well acquainted with death, meeting it out and staring it defiantly in the face. So they are like your, your, they can be like your knight in shining armor or they can be kind of your bad guy or whatever. They are somebody like a city watchman or a soldier, you know, is, is a typical background for them. They are like your, your person who's skilled with weapons, maybe better definitely better than the average person because you're oh, for a hero. sure and you're able to do really cool things with those one of my favorite subclasses for them is the sci fighter right right that's right and we have a character that plays that in our campaign and the sci fighter does a lot it essentially kind of turns you into a jedi you're able to like use telekinesis there's a spell that you learn where you're able to like detect thoughts you can do these long jumps like a force leap and even protect people with kind of like you can use a dice to protect uh, you can use a dice roll to protect uh, subtract damage that somebody might take right a protective uh, field yeah. exactly I love that I think it's a really neat subclass and you know being more than just like I'm gonna hit you five times which you can do as a fighter you know you can hit a million times especially if you take what's called an action surge where you get to do like twice as much stuff. It essentially, yeah, you take your turn and you decide to action surge and it resets your turn basically. So you can take a whole other turn. And that's what I love about it. It just, the, the, like you can do so much. You can do the, like this tortured mind, like 11 from stranger things, or you can be this kind of like Jedi character who learned to like really harness their mind. And, you know, maybe there was some type of, psionic energy or something that you were subjected to as a child and now you're able to actually use this stuff for good and to help your friends out you get a little bit of utility being able to protect your friends yeah. or leap long distances maybe you can be a little bit of a scout or whatever and i think it really makes the fighter kind of like a, a fun thing plus you get access to a few spells which is also fun right if you take a specific subclass you can uh, get some some spells in there as well um, the next the next subclass that I like is the rune knight, right? Okay. Everybody loves the eldritch knight. You know, that's like a more that's like a really kind of gish character where you've got like the knight, you got weapons and magic kind of combined. Your battle mage of sorts. Yeah, sort of kind. You know, and your weapon can come to you and everything. I think the rune knight's kind of cool. And this is what I would. This is what I talked about my forge cleric earlier. This is what I would make my Goliath. Uh, multi-class with would be a rune knight because I can mm -hmm. just imagine this Goliath and he's trying to explain to people that he's really a dwarf you know and he knows <laughs> he's not a dwarf but he's like in stature and physicality in, in but, his, in, but at his heart in his heart you know he's that's who he grew up with and I imagine him saying I am a dwarf and then growing to be and I dig you a hole <laughs> and growing to be 15 feet tall utilizing his rune knight magic and that's what the rune knight's all about the rune knight utilizes the magic of the giants right the rune carver oh, right and i imagine if his father was somebody that that's trained the the giants and was also a smith and utilized that magic going forward that this rune knight uh goliath rune knight would be able to become this a he's able to get large he's able to become bigger and take up more space and carry more things and he's able to do way more damage now that he's twice as big essentially doubles your height it actually makes your height more because if you're actually a small character like a gnome for example and you're three feet tall you automatically become large large sized wow. so you would be like 12 to 15 feet tall 
12 to 20 feet tall almost and be way bigger. And so you could get a comedic effect out of that. Like if you were a gnome and you were three feet tall, you'd be able to run through a hole, you know, imagine running through like a hole that you could only fit through. And then on the other side, they come around, the guards do, and there's this giant 20 or, foot tall gnome. You're just this, you're, you're, yeah, some kind of tiny character and, you know, a bad guy grapples you and they're holding you, you know, and are going to whisk you away. You know, you're just a, 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 you know, tiny rabbit folk or something. And then, you know, you're like, oh yeah. And then you, you know, engage your giant's might and you grow, you know, to 20 foot size and you know, they can't hold on to you anymore. Exactly. Yeah. They can't, they can't hold on to you at all. And so you get that ability and you can even get bigger as you go along, as you, as you gain levels in this class, you actually, I think you could grow to size uh huge or what really? Yeah. I think you grow to size huge. Yeah, it's, it's it's 18th level. 18th level. So if you were like a level two forge cleric and you reached 18th level oh. as, a, as a as a rune knight, you would become huge. So you could be you could go to being like 30 feet tall, and now you're doing even more damage. And it is very comedic. To How think did about. I not ever see this? I totally want to make a character like that that is of small size or something and be able to grow to 30 feet. <laughs> Honey, I grew the kids. You know, I guess it's essentially like Ant Man. <laughs> similar to it yeah but this magic it comes from these like runes these things yeah, that you yeah. learn from the giants and, and there's different types of giants in the dungeons and dragons world uh cloud giants or you know stone giants and the different types of runes that you're able to put on your equipment do certain things like you, you maybe you can see better in the dark or maybe you can do like you can cause fiery shackles to come up and wrap around your enemies and do fire damage to them so those are like fun. You get a little bit of magical, you know, ability here and there. And you also get um, the, the ability to do more damage. You get more role play out of it. You know, the ability to just get big. If you were a barbarian, get and you swole, were, son. If, if you were mixed up like a little tiny barbarian, you imagine raging and then using another bonus action later on to become giant as well. You know, very Jeez. interesting. So. I, I love it. I love it. I love that subclass. I think it's it's really cool. There are a lot of really cool subclasses for fighter. There are uh, cool subclasses that are like designed by the critical role team, like the Echo Knight, which is like super power. Like, you know, I think they're super overpowered, but I like them, you know, just being able to teleport around the battlefield and do right. damage. But yeah, the fighter fun, really easy for people to get into because you're not worried about the magical system and you're able to do a lot of interesting things and you can role play really well with it if you want to. That's crazy. Wanted to make another character. Yeah. That uses that stuff. So another cool martial class, right? Is the monk. Yes. I have played a, a monk class with, in one of our other campaigns. I, that is my primary class as a monk. Um, and I really enjoy that. And especially, you know, with the, both with this kind of fascination in martial arts, but, um, being able to play, uh, that kind of character in this, you know, they have, you can have a you know peaceful aspect to them. You know, coming from a monastery and very tranquil and you know a Zen attitude. But you know, if you get and be kind of anti-violence, but you know, if you are forced into a place where you must defend yourself or others, you know, then you can whoop up on some people and pull out the you know the kung fu and the, the Bruce Lee aspects. So monks are united in their ability to magically harness the energy that flows in their bodies. Whether channeled as a striking display of combat prowess or a subtler focus of defensibility and speed, this energy infuses all that a monk does. And that's the key points, which is the specific thing that you get from being a monk. You mm -hmm. get this kind of like level of like, like this pool of energy that you're able to utilize at different levels 
and the number increases as you gain class levels as a monk and you're able to do really cool maneuvers like add extra strikes to it or you know now you um, can spend a key point and you know you have your main attack that you deal during your turn but then if you spend a key point you can uh take two additional you can take two additional um you know unarmed attacks right with with the with the flurry of blows uh move so yeah you can spend a key point and you get the flurry of blows uh, maneuver where you can use your bonus action to do two more strikes so you can get three attacks in a turn by spending a key point, which is super helpful. And I've used that many times uh, in our campaign to uh, be able to deal a lot of damage. Yeah, especially if you've missed like your first, like if you got two attacks and you miss those as your action. Yeah, that, that's really disappointing when you use your attacks and you don't even, you know, you completely miss and whiff it and you don't get to do anything. Well, you know, in an emergency, I can spend a key point and I get two more just in case. Exactly. Now you're now you're throwing a, you're throwing four hands maybe. And that's the other, the other thing is you get. Um, the, your 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 hands, your unarmed weapons, your hands, your elbows, your knees, your feet—they do more damage than the, a regular person would. Yes, and that also makes them neat. But I think the monk is interesting as well because you, what you said, is what I think most people look to the monk for, and that's the way you play your character. And I, it is that very like even even you see it in the um, character art or like Wizards of the Coast put us in there. You see like the very stereotypical. Shaolin monk right. style thing. And if that's not your thing, then hear me out. Your monastery can be anything though. Mm-hmm. It's just like the college. You don't have to go to the college of creation, right? That's just what the subclass is called. So for me, for me, the monk, you know, you, I am not as like in tune with like the Shaolin stuff as you are in, in real world. So right, it, right. It, it interests me, but like I would not, I don't think I would RP that as well as you do. You do a really good job playing that. I see the monastery as being wherever you harness your fighting ability. So one of, one of the classes I like is the Kinsei monk. The Kinsei yes. monk is a character that uses, they make their weapons more powerful. You use a lot using that chi energy that fly like key energy that flows through them. Mm-hmm. I imagine that if you went to a gladiator school, that's your monastery, right? Imagine that you were kept as a slave. You're a, that's your background, and you learn to fight with a trident and a net, or maybe a sling, right? Hmm. Now you can use some of these weapons that aren't as popular as other weapons. You know, something like a bow staff or nunchucks that you'd typically see. Yeah, you could use like you could use a sling or you could use something else and you will do additional damage now that you're a monk and you're 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 it, it uses that spe- like your same attack damage that your hands and your feet and your elbows do, right? right. So you could use something like a, a just a dagger or a trident, you know, that only does the trident's kind of like disappointing or the spear is because it only does like a D six of damage, even with both hands. Right. Mm. And now you can add additional, now you can go all the way up to a D 10 or a sling. Imagine slinging, imagine doing a stunning strike, right. With a sling, right. You throw it around and you, you harness that, that key energy into your, or your focus or whatever you want yeah. to call your key. You're, you, th- you throw that and hit the guy, stun him. You get that very David versus Goliath thing. Yeah. So the monastery to me can be wherever your monastery, like wherever you train to fight, and there's a discipline to it. I say in that same, like in that vein, talking about that, you know, you may not be a, you know, a, a Shaolin monk from a, a mountain monastery, but in you're more of a route of a, you know, a Spartan from the 300 type of thing, a hoplite of some kind. Yeah, 
there's the, there's that there's the you know I talked about Game of Thrones earlier. There's a there's a there's a group of people in in Game of Thrones that we don't really see. They're in the books in the Song of Ice and Fire series, but we don't we only see one of them in the actual show, and he doesn't even really get to do anything. So it's kind of disappointing. But the Norvoshi priests, they're these shall they, they they train in these monasteries. But they're not really training with their hands and feet. They're known as like they, they have these axes, and that's that's like their thing. You could have this battle axe that that's like you you have some type of almost holy like you know thing to it, and you're also this like super well trained martial artist specifically with that one weapon. I think Kensei monks would be like a good example of that. Right. That's yeah. That's pretty cool. I've, I've definitely really uh, enjoyed playing it. My particular one that I play in a campaign is a homebrew subclass um, that takes a lot of uh, stylistic things from Dragon Ball Z, you know, being able to shoot, you know, big Kamehameha type blasts out of your hands or eventually even being able to fly. Um, but, uh, using that sort of a key energy to empower yourself in similar ways to like Dragon Ball Z stuff, which I thought was pretty cool. It is awesome. I love the way that you play the way you role play it. You know, you, 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 you know, I think, uh, I'm playing kind of a little bit more, you know, my bard died in a pretty epic fashion. And now I'm playing in like another homebrew class in our, in our Sunday games. And it's, you know, you, you're this, you have this innocence about you where you don't really understand the world. And I think that's kind of cool. And I'm, I'm, you know, I use, I was using the, uh, I was using spells to take away like the taste, like the horrible taste of alcohol. And you were (laughs) drinking for the first time. You're like, Oh, this isn't so bad because beforehand I would cast a spell on it that took away the, the taste. It made it just taste like warm apples or like something sweet or wine or something cider. So now you think that's what they all taste like. And you just get, you were just getting so drunk without any of like the, the forewarning of the alcohol. Right. Nothing to stop me from just, chug a lug right on down everything that was in there <laughs> exact yeah that's it hilarious that was a fun time it was like a fun like a little rp session yeah you super drunk that, that was cool uh but uh, another subclass more in the guise of 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 that like typical monastery feel is something like a ninja right mm. like the way of the shadow yes so you get this kind of assassin feel the way of the shadow harnesses like the darkness and like the like dim light to be able to move at like lightning pace. And then they have certain spells that allow them to be more stealthy, like pass without a trace or, you know, silence, those yeah. type of things. Pass without a trace is one of those spells that is when it comes to utilityness, um, I really wish I had it on one of my classes because if you as a party are trying to sneak in anywhere or everywhere, um, you know, you have to roll a stealth check. You know, you have to see how quiet you're being, you know, how quiet your steps are, how quiet your conversations are. And if anybody can hear you moving pass without a trace, you know, adds what, whatever you end up rolling, it adds an extra 10 on top of it, which for something like a stealth check kind of almost is an automatic succeed. Yes. And I'm playing, and we'll go over this when we get to Ranger. I'm playing a Ranger bugbear, this big burly guy who's kind of like, but they've also got this kind of sneaky nature to them. They're seven feet tall, but they're able to fit in small spaces and they're very lanky and strong and able to like, you know, and my character has a climbing speed from mm-hmm. his, from some of the Ranger stuff that he has and he has passed without a trace and he also has expertise in stealth. So he sure. naturally, when he casts pass without a trace on himself, he is getting, and I'm, I'm level nine now, he gets plus 23 automatically. <laughs> so when I was playing, I was we were sneaking in this facility recently. We did this, we did this scene where the, 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 
the teams broke up and this is more of a cyberpunk sci-fi campaign that I'm playing in and the DM she's awesome she does a great job I, I love playing with her and she due to some time constraints in the holidays we had to split our party up and this ranger and you know I was able to to move along and, and sneak in all these places he was rolling consistently without like any homebrew stuff really he was rolling in the 40s Right, He's, he, he he couldn't. He technically couldn't go under like a twenty or a twenty twenty four right. would be the lowest he could possibly roll, right? Which is a which is a pretty good roll for yeah. most everything else. And this guy, this cat, was doing it really well. And he gets another ability at level eleven, where he can add another plus ten to his thing. So I have the ability to vanilla without like crazy homebrew rules, be able to roll in the fifties. And <laughs> right, which as far as um, there, there's different kind of levels you can set, you know, if you have to complete a task, there's a um, certain different levels the GM can can set that you have to at least pass this number to be able to succeed at it. And as far as kind of rules go in D&D, &D, the highest that that can be like an almost impossible task would be you'd have to roll a 30. That's essentially the highest challenge rating to complete you know, whatever the said task would be. So when you're rolling fifties, like, yeah, it, you're basically completely invisible to anybody trying yes. to see you. I am. And you know, I am this bugbear, this seven foot tall, hairy beast, goblin esque. I am Bigfoot. That's the reason why you can't get a picture of him. <laughs> this just you in, are blurry. This just in. Yes, he. I am Bigfoot. Bigfoot is a big bugbear. Did, did we just make a? Yeah. Did you, are you just saying that that's that Bigfoot in real life is a bugbear? Who's that, getting a plus? Yeah, who that has who, really good stealth? Who checks. has a really good stealth score? That's all it is. And so he could be all around us, and we just wouldn't know. Pretty much, yeah, because our perception is mm. not that good. Because I'm just, a, I'm don't even, I'm not even an adventurer. I'm just a, I'm just a commoner. You know, I've got four health points, and I can't really do a whole lot. So point. next time you see it, you see that blurry footage, and you're like, I don't believe in him. Just know it's a bugbear, and he is, yeah, he is just better than you at perceiving him. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but the way of the shadow, you know, adding all that, all, all of that to it, able to be the stealthy ninja esque, maybe you get your little short sword, right? Which is also one of your monk weapons and you're able to go in there and you can sneak into places. You can be kind of that silent assassin. You can even teleport from dim, like, you know, from dark light to dark spots. If you see a place that's like dimly lit, you can magically teleport there. And that's so cool. Just, you get that kind of anime feel like zip, 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 zip. Like, you know, imagine Every other twenty feet, there's a street light out, and there you are. Boom, or, or boom, boom, yeah, boom. you know, like you said, if you have a, a bow or a sling, you know, you shoot your sling and, and knock out these. You know, if there's torches or something, you just uh, or better yet, you have a wizard in your party, and they're just able to snuff out torches or candlelight and somewhere to make creating a space for you to teleport to. Yeah, that could be pretty cool. That is cool. And that's the reason why we love monks is because they are that kind of fun. Now the people, they, they kind of are, they get underrated a little bit sometimes because they, they don't have as much health sometimes as uh, some of the other puncher fighter people, you know, the other right. people with swords and everything like that. They're a little more squishy. They're slightly more squishy, but they are harder to hit. And so like the Kinsei monk, especially, they can be a little bit harder to hit if you, they, you can use your weapon as like almost like a shield to kind of deflect things and. The, you know, if you're that sneaky, you're going to be hard to hit anyways. And I think it's just, you know, if you like it, if you think that, you know, the Shaolin monk kind of things are cool, or if you just want to be a guy that grew up in the school of hard knocks, you know, and you're not as, as like, you know, 
Shaolin oriented or karate esque or whatever, you can find a way to role play that. You know, you could be a like tavern brawler, street fighter, martial artist guy, you know, like you and I both train martial arts. I, I'm a grappler. You're a, you're a striker. And you know, they're two very different schools, you Mm -hmm. know, especially when I grew up wrestling, there was a, it's a totally different thing than going to a karate class, you know, very, very different, but just as disciplined, no belts, no geese, but it is one of those things that, you know, they are also a martial artist. Yeah. So for sure. And speaking of, um, speaking of discipline, right. The, the next class is the paladin. Okay. Right. And the paladin is one of those that I feel like is all oftentimes just really, um, driven in like one direction, you know, very cleric, like God, 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 right. God, God. And that's, right. that's not necessarily the case. So I'm going to read you the, the paladin, short paladin description. Okay. Whether sworn before a God's altar and the witness of a priest in a sacred glade before nature spirits and fey beings, or in a moment of desperation and grief with the dead as the only witness, a paladin's oath is a powerful bond. So, the, so they have their oath that they're kind of bound to, as opposed to just kind of, I guess, following a deity, de- worshiping a deity of some kind. Or that's right. So, the the paladin is bound to their oath. It's they they it's so much so that the, like they put their their whole heart and soul into it, and that's where the reason why they are also a charismatic caster. They also use charisma as their casting focus. Right. Now there are divin there are there are divine things that they can do, right? Uh-huh. And so it's on this borderline of like this kind of like you know, you're very um zealous. You're very zealous. So this overwhelming like zeal and push towards that cuz some of the classes like one of the classes is like you're sworn to the crown, you know? That that's that's one of the 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 Yes. There's a there's oath of conquest is one of the subclasses where you're you're driven to like overcome and conquer and do that kind of thing, and so when they're when they're kind of shoehorned always into like this religious knight who's like holier than thou, you get this kind of like cleric you know mindset where where you know they're almost not allowed to do certain things. They seem like they're you know you they're know, limited by what they're. I guess their, their, their deity kind of allows them to do or not do possibly. And just like we talked about with, with the cleric, right? Like the war cleric does not care. Like the war clerics works for the war God, right? They are a missionary for the war God. They preach the war God. They are the intermediary. They do things to for like, they will fight in battle. They will do these things to further like the war God. The same thing with the cleric, right? If you're the oath of conquest, you know, or the paladin. If you're Oath of Conquest Paladin, yeah. right, you are not like, well, maybe we shouldn't take over the village, right? Mm. You want to. That's what you are driven you to will, conquer. You will conquer you will this conquer. task. It's, it's literally the root word, right? It, it's interesting. Just in this short description you gave, like, I've looked at um, in the, you know, many hours I've spent, you know, with character creation ideas and stuff. I've looked at Paladin things a number of times. I've yet to play one. And I think I just now realized that I didn't really get it till you just explained it. Like I, 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 for some reason, I couldn't wrap my head around what they were all about, like what the paladin class really was. But it literally just took a simple ex- explanation that they are, they have an oath, and that doesn't have to be a. I guess I had in my head similar to a cleric that it was a divine kind of thing, but no, they can have an oath to anything, and that's just their driving force through their life. 
is what their oath is. Yeah. You know, in they, they're a lot of their casting, like a lot of their, their spells are cleric esque, but they're very much their own thing. You know, the paladin has a very unique, um, magic, uh, spell list that they can choose from mm-hmm. things like fine steed or, or, you know, like, uh, oh, yeah. or the, some of the smites, those are very unique to the, the paladin subclass. But so, and some of those seem like they're very, they're very like religious, but they're not necessarily like, it doesn't have to be is what I'm saying. So the cleric, you know, I, I would argue you're not going to have an atheist cleric and you're really not going to have, I mean, you can have people that don't like the gods or whatever, but you're not going to have like a ton of like atheistic NPCs necessarily, you know, either you'll have some of like, I don't like them, you know, or I worship the devil or I, I'm, I'm a person for, you know, I'm a cultist for this or cultist for that. I'm a vampire or I'm a lich or, right. you know, whatever. But the paladin is, is, is way more than just some holier than thou knight in shining armor. You know, they don't have to be as a matter of fact, my choice for the, for the subclasses. Okay. My first one, my favorite one is the oath of the ancients. Ancients, okay. Oath of the Ancients, and these are the tenets. So these are these are kind of like, um, oh yeah, the principles for the Oath of the Ancients. And if you remember, your wife, her original character in our campaign, before I killed her, was <laughs> was an Oath of the Ancients paladin, right? Oh right, that's right. That's what that's what the character was. And right, so she, and she did have like more religious stuff to it, and she, it was a very well done. Like she she had this like religious. Uh, affinity to to a god who was kind of like a goddess of the hunt slash um you know nature and, right and that was fun but it doesn't have to be it could be to a fae being it could be to just in you could wander off one day and just be like you know bow before trees almost game of thrones style you could go to the weirwood trees and pray to them and worship them or not even do that just make an oath like i'm going to do this and through your devotion that's the main thing the devotion to that oath you develop your powers. So could you have an oath that your your goal in life, your oath is to steal any apple pies on windowsills in the countryside? There could absolutely be like an oath of like taking, oath of, you know. <laughs> oath of thievery, Oath I guess. of thievery, yeah. Like, I mean, you could do that. Either there's, <laughs> I'm sure there's a homebrew where there's right. something like that. You can't keep your, you know, your, your mitts off, your, your grubby little hands off of other people's things. I mean, in, in, a, in essence, the oath of conquest would be like that, right? You know, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't outright say like, hey, it's skullduggery and like, you know, going in and uh, stealing things. But I mean, you want to take things from others. I mean, what's more, what, oh, sure, there's no apples on windowsills, but if you take all the windowsills by taking a whole town. Right. <laughs> I'll just take your house and take, your neighbor's house yes. and the whole village. I will conquer, I will conquer the whole county, the whole canton, the whole province, right? Yes. So... The Oath of the Ancients, these are their tenets. This is like kind of like their their shtick, right? Kindle the light. Through your acts of mercy, kindness, and forgiveness, kindle the light of hope in the world, beating back despair, all right? Shelter the light. Where there is good, beauty, love, and laughter in the world, stand against the wickedness that would swallow it. Where life flourishes, stand against the forces that would render it barren. Mm. Delight in song and laughter and beauty and art. If you allow the light to die in your own heart, you can't preserve it in the world. And then be the light. Be a glorious beacon for all who live in despair. Let the light of your joy, courage shine forth in all your deeds. So they get access. They're they're very green knight, right? They're very, they're very, you know, they've got their armor and maybe vines and they've got their antlers maybe on their helmet or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be a forest. It can be, you know, there's, 
not everything is like a, a perfect, you know, deciduous forest or something like that. Right. It could be, you could be Oath of the Ancients for the desert. You could be. For the mountains. For the mountains. For the tundra. Yeah, for lots tundra. of different stuff. Absolutely. And one of their key abilities, so the paladins don't get a ton of subclass things. They get some special spells, right? They get, you know, um, like the ensnaring strike spell. They get moonbeam, misty right. step, things that aren't accessible from their spell list. They, they automatically get just by taking that subclass at different levels. But they also have the ability, and one of my favorite things is, is the aura of warding they get at seventh level. And they, they have a aura around them surrounds them at all times yeah in 10 feet right any creature including yourself within 10 feet has resistance to damage from spells Ooh, that is huge that, that especially is very huge. at higher level gameplay that is a huge metagaming aside just yeah. having the ability to kind of like shake it off and, and be able to role play about that right is awesome that you, you you know if you've got more squishy people some wizards or things that you you've kind of you know, stay within this boundary of, of your, your paladin. And even I, the first thing popped in my head was pairing this with somebody who has a sentinel feet. Oh yeah. That you got a couple, you know, t- your two hard hitters, a paladin and, you know, a barbarian with sentinel or something. And then they go in and, you know, especially if you're finding somebody with spells, you know, that could really parry off each other and be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much you could do with it. That you know, some of the some of the different paladins have this aura around them that they get at seventh level. Others have other features. Oh, so and that the range increases from ten feet to thirty feet when you're eight eighteenth level. That's pretty high. That's pretty but, high. But yeah. still, you know, within thirty feet, that's that's awesome. That's huge. So if you're playing like a level twenty one shot or you're into like high level gameplay and you decide, you know, a lot of people multi class the paladin, mm-hmm. and I like multi classing because I feel like I get to get some really interesting. Um, player characters, right? But you know, there is something said for the power of like a straight up level twenty. I mean, really, single class. Yeah, yeah, any single class. Like, if you you can get it up there, eight, eighteen to eighteen to twenty. Those last three levels in pretty much any class, like they add some pretty beefy stuff on top of what you already have. And you're already a demigod at that point, anyway. Right. But you know, when you're when essentially, if you're just two level, like you know, you're level ten of something else, and you're level ten of something else. You have the hit points, you have some of the cool things, but you're really missing those later things. And, you know, some people, I think some DMs struggle with like being able to fight somebody that's that high level. I don't, right. because I, you know, I just got to be creative. You just got to be creative. You just got to, you know, come up with your own creatures, come up with your own little things, mix and match, you know, legendary resistances or whatever, you right. know, make it fun to me. You know, like I said, I, I will always say Dungeons and Dragons for me as a dungeon master, my primary thing is for the, my players to have fun mm-hmm. and, make them feel cool. Right. Right. And in that case, like, you know, if, you know, the, the creatures in the thing don't, you know, aren't powerful enough or don't match up, like just the thing I thought, I thought of right now, you could take any creature and just put a label in front of it. Like, oh, you have a, a, a cobalt or, you know, some kind of, uh, a giant bat and just add like elder in front of it. Yeah. Oh, now it's an elder giant bat. Cobalt oh. lich, right? Yeah. Yeah. Co- co- yeah. You can add a, a, you know, suffix or prefix to it. And then suddenly, and then you could just set your own stats. Yeah. We, you know? we, we harp on, we harp on like player characters, being able to get really get the character that they want. Right. Mm-hmm. We want them to have the character that feels really good and is really unique. Dungeon masters need to feel the same thing for, oh, for, the, sure. for their bad guys. You know, I'm, I make a ton for our campaign. Yeah. I make a ton of unique characters. I've loved some of the ones you came up with. And world sure. resistance. You know, we have, 
we have a character and this is well, I'm going to touch on the second subclass in one second, but we have a character that you guys have adopted, right? A kind of simpleton half orc or orc, I forget what he is. And he he's got a head injury and I've not really used some of his abilities yet, but like yeah. you know, one of his abilities was just like I call it diminished intellect. And if somebody <laughs> makes a wisdom saving throw or makes it tries to charm him or do anything that affects his mind, He's able to just punch him, you know, he's able, <laughs> because he's he's so he's 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 not the smartest guy, and, right? But he's fun. You have he's to like, have some intellect to control, yeah. In a sense, <laughs> and, and there there are a lot of spells that work like that, where if yeah. your intelligence is too low, is below. Yeah, if you try like to use four. it on, on a creature that has it has to have an intelligence of at least you know two or four or something, otherwise it does nothing. Yeah, so right. Those are fun. Like I like I like coming up with those things, and, and I will say this as a as a dungeon master, if you play you know, in person, they don't understand like it be harder because you're doing it all on paper. But for those who are doing it like TT, like, like on a virtual tabletop, right. Way easier, oh, way yeah. easier to do. Agreed. So second subclass is, this is just more of like a, uh, also utility, utilitarian kind of helping out, you know, the, the oath of the Support class. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. The oath of the, you know, Paladins have a lot of stuff that they can do. They're not just tanks. They're not just They're people. very you know, widely used. They can kind of uh, be diverse and different, more you know, more healing-based or more combat-based or just utilitarian. Your wife in particular with her character, right? She played a, a satyr, which like a, you know, a little yeah. half-goat person from the Feywilds, and she was very healing-based, you know? Yep. And she probably saved you guys from dying several times. Oh, for sure. Because you... Couldn't save herself. She could not... Well, yeah. Oh, that's because she, she didn't want to. That's because that's she didn't want to. She <laughs> she's she suffers like most of us from... from uh, I've got too many characters and not enough playtime. Exactly. You know, in her back pocket. But. Yep. So the next one is the Oath of uh, Glory. Okay. So I like that one a lot just because it's... You're, you're kind of... It, you almost just kind of pump up your comrades. You know, you kind of keep them moving... You have spells like heroism. Mm. You have like enhanceability. That's right. Protection from energy, you know. Right, right. Um, freedom of movement, those kind of things. It, it's just kind of thing where, you know, like you could be this paladin with like a, with like a, maybe you were athlete as a background, right? And, you know, very much, maybe you were like a, a boxer or a fighter or something like that. And you swore on your, you know, father's dying bed that you were going to become the best athlete out there and just going out and adventuring you wind up taking up arms and right. you know maybe the world requires you to do that anyway so you know the in a lot of it was very frequent you know if we look at real world to look at ancient times and medieval armies and the armies of antiquity for them to be levied troops who are very much untrained yeah and so you, you never knew when you know out of nowhere you're you know your country was suddenly going to be conquered by some opposing force. And yeah, they would have to come to the common man and, you know, train them to fight. Exactly. So I, the oath of glory is a fun one. It, I'm not going to go through all the tense next. We've been, we were, we, I've, we got into a DM deep dive there, yeah. but it, it's a fun one to look at. It also has an aura that, um, that gives your comrades like a lot of speed. So, it, you know, if it, that thing you talked about, like having a wizard or somebody near you mm -hmm. and, um, maybe you were like the tank guarding the thing, having that, that, um, ability to like enhance their speed and that kind of thing. Like within, with, you could actually help with retreats, not just advancing. It's not all for attacking. You could also help with them getting away from things. Yeah, definitely. That that's super useful. Um, you know, if you're in a, uh, 
some kind of dungeon or something that you complete, kill the bad boss, and you take the treasure off the pedestal at the end, suddenly the entire cave system starts collapsing in on itself, and you've got to get out. And it's not something he has quick. to cast. It's not something he has to rely on his, his yeah. magic pool for. It's just straight up, like, you're within 10 feet of me or 30 feet of me, depending on the level. You can sprint. Like, you have right. way, you're way faster and you know maybe maybe that's your glory right maybe your maybe your comrades make it through and they turn around and the rocks fall and they feel the speed like wane from them and you're left behind mm. and you're you're what allowed them to get out you know there's something to that well, yeah. you know I that's mean, that's crazy yeah there could be a lot of fun with that the the, pal- sure. the paladin's a fun class i think it, like i said it, it's it's very um holy night very you get the very Templar, like Teutonic, like, right. you know, it, it's easy to like real world go like Catholic or knightly orders. Wow. I'll add a paladin to my list of new characters to make. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've already got like three or four of them this conversation so far. You know, especially like the Oath of the Ancients, you know, there's there's so many fun things you could do with that. You I know, mean, you can yeah, come up with your whatever the ancient is. You can come up with your own ancient being, mm-hmm. you know, or talk with your DM and, you know, see if they've got a you know a already set you know guideline of what you know gods are or uh different deities type of thing yeah what pantheon what's the what's the pantheon look like exactly yeah Yeah, that's a lot of fun so moving on from the paladin we're going to get into the ranger Ranger. which is one of those classes that's been very much dogged on in fifth edition people have not liked it as much they feel like it's not had as much fun with it but wizards of the coast and, and a lot of people have added these like revised ranger settings to it that help it um gain a little bit more uh power and some of the subclasses are a lot of fun though mm-hmm. um so the ranger i will read you that that example far from the bustle of cities and towns past the hedges that shelter the most distant farms from the terrors of the wild amid the dense packed trees of trackless forests and across wide and empty plains, rangers keep their unending watch. I think rangers are really cool. We are when we are introduced to Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, right? Strider. Strider. He's one of them rangers from yeah. up north. Right. And mm-hmm. so very there's already like some sense of like, oh, what is that? You know? Is it an order? Is it like is it just like what he is? Is it a lone survivor kind of deal? Does that just mean you're completely on your own? You're not affiliated with anything? Are you a mercenary, a hired hand? There's a lot of different uh, mysteriousness aspects to that. Yeah, you know, for me, the the, the Rangers, they, they have really good, they're really good fighters. They have a very, very basic magical casting right. system based on their wisdom, their wisdom stat. So... But it's not super important that they have a high stat in that because there's not a no. ton of attacks or anything they're doing with their wisdom score. However, you know, you also get a utility, right? You also get a little utility from things like Pass Without a Trace, which is like one of the absolute ranger spells. But, you know, you have the ability. You're like that archer. You have... Right. That's the first thing that pops to me when you hear ranger to me that immediately uh, equals archer you know, first and foremost in my mind. But, and that's the thing that you can, you can play the archer and they are fun, but realistically they're also, they can start out with a long sword. They have decent armor. They have a shield if they want one. And they are very much, they have a D 10 hit points just like a fighter does. Would you say there'd be any aspects to like Geralt? Geralt? 
Geralt for sure. Matter of fact, some of the when you look at some of the things like the monster slayer or whatever, that's what made me think of that. Yeah, it's, he's got that very you know hunting down monsters in, in you know in the countryside sort of aspect to it. That is a very big aspect of that ranger. And that's one of the deal. One, that's one of the things. They are the experts. They 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 have foes that they they know and they're able to mark and track. And you know maybe I think of it like like this right in in my current world that I'm building, the world of Zetnora, right? Right. There are, I have included in, in several of the countries, several of the city states and countries I've included specific ranger organizations going back, you know, last week we talked about Harry Potter, Hogwarts legacy. Right. Mm. And I told you, I was like, I, I grew up with the, with the Redwall series. That was like my thing. Right. In, in those books, there was one. And so the Redwall series was about like these anthropomorphic, you know, little animals, badgers, weasels. Animals. Yeah. <laughs> and they were, they were like medieval. It was very, you know, it was written by a British guy who kind of Tolkien-esque, you know, like he's, he's just like a humble little guy that lives in the country in, in the yeah. UK. And they had some really cool things. They had some like really cool battles. And there was, I remember there was one that was the, it was the, something of Salamandistron was the, was the island. And they, there was a badger that ruled this place. And he was in charge of this group, this company of hares. And they were mm-hmm. called the long patrol. And they were like these pseudo warriors. That, I mean, they were, they were warriors, but they would, they would go out and they would, they would go out and, you know, defend the countrysides and do this kind of thing. They would fight off the Raiders. They would, they would help out people. Mm-hmm. And I, I always thought that was like such a cool thing. And so I think of like ancient uh, soldiers. There was usually like some type of harassing force. There was usually some sort of skirmisher or something to that effect that was really good at uh, being like almost like a special forces aspect to it. You know, like they're able to sneak in, they're all able to fight, but they're also able to get out, but you don't want to leave them in there for long. So I think of Rangers, like if you're going to have Rangers in your world, they should be a, um, small military force, you know, or like, you know, almost like a border guard or something to that effect. Okay. You know, there's somebody that keeps the watch. They, they keep the bad things at bay. Maybe they're like a local group who, who goes out on patrols and then comes back over a series of time. Right. And so, um, my first ranger one that I like, and this is like a really easy one. And it gives me like very like, um, uh, animated ideas is, is the Drake warden. I haven't looked into this one yet. Okay, well, this is a fun one. This is actually a really, really cool one. It's from Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, which is one of the new one of the newer books that's mm-hmm. that Wizards of the Coast put out there. And obviously, from the name, it's very dragon centric. And so, as a Drake Warden, you get a Drake companion. Oh, right? ooh, so you get to have a little dragon buddy that's flying around with you. No, well, first off, they're walking around for a little bit, right? And as they get bigger, oh, as they get bigger, so it's like a baby. And it grows over time with you, kind of? Sort of, kind of. I mean, I don't think it's like a baby baby. Like, I don't, like, it does. A pure hatchling (laughs) from an egg. You know, the yolk is still fresh upon its skin. Three-day baby Jesus. (laughs) And he's just fighting for you. Eight pounds, seven ounce, little baby Drake. Little baby Drake. Um, So, no, he's, he, it's a very cool, um, subclass where you get you essentially get the ability to um, he becomes your mount and then he can fly with you he grows in size as you guys go along and you can use you know you can use him as your mount like you can be flying around on a dragon you know Khaleesi style what? Game of Thrones whatever or like how to train your dragon 
be using your bow if you want. And he I really also has a read, breath weapon attack. I really have to read some of these subclasses more. Because that sounds awesome. It is so cool. You know, like, you, you, you can, I think you even give you, like, allow your weapons to do, like, elemental damage that the, the, his breath weapon does or her breath weapon does, whatever your dragon would be. Right, right. Um, it's it's super neat. I love it. It's like a very fun thing. And you can almost picture like these people who are like, you know, maybe these young drakes, you can, you can imagine an actual organization that would specialize in this kind of thing and how you would come across these dragons and how you would originally meet your dragon or your little drake. And then, you know, what happened? Did they all get wiped out? And then you get forced away from your, like, did your whole organization get out and you guys were the sole survivors? Did you, were they mistreating the Drakes and you took off with yours? You know, there's so many different things you can do with that one. And that's a, that's a lot of fun. And who doesn't want to have a Drake? Who doesn't want to ride a, like a little dragon? In no battle? kidding. So yeah, you still, yeah, you're looking at it still. So my next one is the horizon Walker conclave. And I like this one. This is a very niche one. This is one that deals primarily with, um, like portals and like protecting the, the, like the, the planar different, the, the, the different planes of existence, right? You, you're, they almost have like this. You can also imagine an organization who is dedicated. Like this is the portal to hell. This is the portal to the Feywild. This is the portal to the these fire things, plane. the fire plane. Yeah. And it is a rift and these monsters will come through and we're the ones, we're the guardians oh, yeah. of civilization, right? Right. You can imagine that type of thing. So they get really cool abilities where they're able to kind of like, and this is one of those classes you might like too, because it is a very teleport centric one. Right. Right. You know, so like they, they get some extra damage, uh, starting at third level when you get the subclass, whenever they hit somebody. And then they also have the ability to misty step. They can go like ethereal if they want to. And there's one that this is at like level 11. This is why I think you would like you gain the ability to pass between the planes in the blink of an eye. When you use the attack action, you can teleport up to 10 feet before each attack to an unoccupied space. You can see if you will attack at least two different creatures with the action, you can make one additional attack with it against a third creature. So you oh can go, you can kind of blink, blink, blink. And you know, you like oh, stab, you, you know, appear slice. and stab and then disappear and appear somewhere else and kick somebody and disappear. And then oh. do it again, as long as they're all yeah. within 10 feet of each other. And that's a really fun one. And then as a bonus action, you could misty step back to where you're from or whatever, you know, that's a, so it's a really fun one. It, but one of the things, one of their main things that they have is called like detect planar portal. And I think this is one of those things. If, if you are a DM and you're one of your characters want to play that really take that into account, you know, even if it's just little demi planes, mm. right? If you, maybe well, you guys are on, in, a, in a house, maybe you guys are in. That's one thing that I've really liked too about your games is you know your characters very well and you know kind of their abilities and some of their goals and stuff. And so you'll slip little things into the story and the campaign specific to the characters. And then when that character comes across to that specific thing, you know, it's their, their little kind of gift that you get to unwrap. It's like, oh man, like this is perfect. I get to use this particular ability that... I don't often get to use, but I've really wanted to for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love it because that's the goal is to make you feel like a hero and who doesn't, who wants to have like a bunch of abilities that they don't enjoy right. or they don't get to use. Right. You know, the, when you're creating a character and even if you're not metagaming, right. Metagaming is where you're just like thinking about numbers and trying to do the most damage or whatever. We're very RPG. Like we are very role playing oriented in yeah. our games and, that, and that's more important than combat. But we also, I love dynamic combat because that's one of the problem solvers and it's also one of the things yeah. that adds some risk to everything but you know who wants who doesn't want to have 
Like who, who isn't building their character and saying like, oh, I can't wait till I get to this level. I bet maybe I could like a couple of these different things together and, and, mm. and string them along. I, I love that. Oh yeah, me too. And so as a DM, if you are running somebody that has a horizon Walker, consider like giving them some demi planes, consider like if you are, even if like curse of Strahd or something like that, right. Mm. Where you're not able to escape, uh, Barovia. Barovia, yeah, just outright consider like if you're in a house, you know, that you they there's like a little demi plane where the guy keeps his treasure and there's a there's a monster in there. Yeah, right? there's a wardrobe you open up and there's a freaking portal in there to this you know demi plane. But only the Horizon Walker is able to sense it out because that's his special ability. Exactly. So he's give him the ability like you know everybody else is like looking and then maybe they're not even finding a lot of treasure and that's really frustrating yeah. when you're like oh, I've got this big this big house why can't I find this this guy's treasure you know why can't I find because we love looting everybody loves looting. Right. And so, but your ranger, he, he senses something, something's amiss and he doesn't have to roll for it. That's yeah. just, he's so cool because yeah. of him. Everybody else gets something, right. you know? So because of him have something really cool for one or two of your other players in there where they're all very happy that he chose this subclass and he has the ability to do that. I, and so rangers interesting, you know, I play a ranger in, in a more sci-fi oriented campaign and I have, you know, guns and everything. And I really love it because I, I like I talked about earlier. I'm rolling like in the fifth. I, I have the opportunity to roll into the fifties, possibly which in is the future, absurd. Into the future, you know. Yes, as, rolling into the next campaign. Rolling into the next campaign. Yeah, literally, you know, like uh, breaking the fourth wall, coming out of exactly, the game and then going back in wherever I want. That's awesome. Yeah, that's. I love it. I think Rangers are cool. I think they're underplayed. I think, you know, just work with your DM Definitely. around what they can do. I've got a character that's kind of a, a multi-class between a rogue and a ranger, an elvish archer. And he hit and, hard. And yeah, and he used him in that one shot we played and, and you could definitely uh, deal some damage for sure. Yeah, you one-shotted like one of my, like, you know, we, you, it was a level 21 shot and you one-shotted yeah. like one of my like level... Like my CR seventeen or eighteen, something like that. Yeah, monster. You with know? a mix of a few different abilities from both things. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah, and that made you feel cool, and I loved it. Exactly. I loved that you did that. You yeah, know, it's fun to do that. All right, so moving on. Speaking of rogue. Speaking speaking of rogues. Yeah, that's the next class, and the, it just snuck up on me too. Oh, There's oh my god! Right behind me. There he is. So rogues are probably my favorite class. And I actually haven't really got to play one for a while, and I'm really jonesing to, to play a rogue again. There's a good chance in, in whatever next campaign is that I'll have some aspect of rogue, because I find them so fun to play. Yeah, they are really neat. You know, I ran that one shot for you and, and uh, one of our other players that was just a, and I know you really enjoyed that one, just oh, yeah. infiltrating and a little assassination and then a little sneaking and looting, and that's that's a lot of fun. For sure. Yeah, the, the stealthy aspect of it, you know, I'm... Uh, I, I really had a good chance to kind of channel my inner Sam Fisher, you know, aspect, the, the stealthy ninja fantasy splinter cell. Exactly. Fantasy splinter cell. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll read you the description. So rogues rely on skill, stealth and their foes vulnerabilities to get the upper hand in any situation. They have a knack for finding the solution to just about any problem, demonstrating a resourcefulness and versatility that is cornerstone of any successful adventuring party. Right. And so for, yes, they are, they are really neat. Um, and, and again, we were talking about that utility of the paladin rogues have some major utility skills. Absolutely. They, they're, they, they can be experts in several different things. They're yeah. able to get into certain places. They're able to be charismatic and, 
and right. infiltrate with things like investigating, uh, looking for traps, um, unlocking doors, unlocking loot chests. Yeah. There's lots of aspects like that, that can really come into play. I mean, cause one of the, you know, it's, it's commonly known that one of the biggest struggles and, and most common enemies in D and D for characters are doors. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get through or past a door. And sometimes they're just unlocked. I don't think you guys realize that. Oh no, for sure. Yeah. There's, there, that's also a joke as well that, you know, you try to lock pick and it doesn't work 14 times and have you tried turning the knob? <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah that's, sometimes that'll work. Sometimes it will. Yeah. Not everybody's, not everybody's got an arcane lock on their bedroom. Right. So the, the rogue is also one of those that's always just kind of played like thief. I'm a thief. I'm right. an urchin, street urchin thief. A thief, or a thief or an assassin. A thief or an assassin, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many examples of rogues that are not just like your average thief in, in like other media. Right. You know, Danny Ocean in Ocean's Eleven is a rogue. Oh, right? for sure. And he's one of the sub, I will even mention he's one of the subclasses I'm going to talk about. Right. They don't have to be some like super secret agent they don't have to be whatever i mean they can be they can even be another example of that like um captain jack sparrow captain jack sparrow is kind of there is a swashbuckler yeah he has very roguish features to him the the charismatic you know kind of soiree sort of personality can also fit into the aspects of rogue yeah like the highwayman you know like you can be the Mm -hmm. highwayman you can be you can be dressed up in frills you can be the person that's just like you know uh one of my go, <laughs> making a Mass Effect reference because why not? In one of like the DLCs you get, there's a there's a character like a crewmate you can recruit, and she's a, a thief, and she's really cool, mm-hmm. and you have to infiltrate this party, and she's there, and she's doing the same thing, and you know there it's fun because you you can go to the party and put on the dress, you can act like you're really cool, you don't have to be just some like street urchin person, yeah, you could be a rich person that became a rogue. Um, rogues get this really cool ability called sneak attack and there's several ways you can get it. And I'm not going to get into it because even if you listen to like critical role, some people sometimes like even people have played their character as a rogue for a long time, they keep forgetting how they get it. So it's one of those things where you better, it's better to learn about it from actually playing it you right. know, rather than me, me to give you the the monopoly. That's how I, I learned it quickest was just my, my first character I ever played was a rogue. And, and yeah, it took me a minute to kind of understand when and where and how sneak attack applied because mm-hmm. there are, and depending on which subclass you pick, it changes those, uh, stipulations, change those rules entirely. Yeah. And so for the rogue, especially like they, they, they're able to do like a sneak attack. So they do this significant amount of damage added on to whatever their weapon. Right. Yeah. The, the basic thing behind it is if you meet these certain requirements, you know, are able to get the surprise or jump on somebody or you have a teammate near somebody. And when you attack, you do a significant amount more damage depending on what your level in rogue is. And, and, and typically you don't have as many attacks, but you are able to hit and hit hard when you need to. Yes. But you are squishy enough that you don't want to get hit yourself. Exactly. So my, so my first subclass is the soul knife. And I think All it's... Right. You've mentioned this one a number of times. I think... Me. Well, just because I think it's so neat. Right. You know, who doesn't want to... The, the Everybody loves when they see the bad guy or the good guy. And they form weapons just out of energy. Maybe... And this guy gets to form... This guy or girl, right? Uh, gets to form psion, like psionic blades with their mind that they're able to use to attack you know, at random. Mm. So thinking of like in going back to the, the assassin trope or something to that effect, you know, you can be like a government agent or something like that. Who's 
who's, you know, very James Bourne-esque. You know, I, I had an idea for a soul knife. Did you say James Bourne? Did you Jason J- Bourne. James Bond and Jason Bourne. I did. Bourne. I did. <laughs> That's I, the ultimate spy. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's James Bourne. Yes. That's my next That's my next D&D character. Is James, James Bourne. James Bourne. <laughs> the rogue. <laughs> so yeah, like like Jason Bourne and James Bond are like are very could be very much rogues. They could be part of this uh, like organization. Um, right. or, or government, you know, I have an idea for a Kenku who are the, like these little Raven people they are not very tall. Mm-hmm. And typically in the game, they're not able to talk. They're able to mimic other people's sounds, which I think is neat. Right. And so they can like mimic whatever you say and, or say things that they've heard recently. So they could like put together a sentence, but it would sound like a bird talking, you right. know, or, you know, maybe it's four different people's voices all forming the same, like forming the sentence. The only I hate it. That's the only reference I can come up to with off the top of my head. But the first thing pops in my head is Bumblebee from the Transformer movies. Yes, that, that exactly that. He exactly that. He, Playing them on the radio yeah. and taking taking a little bit of this, taking a little bit of that, and putting something together. Exactly. But the um, the Soul Knife can do a lot of really interesting things. I just imagine I imagine a Jason Bourne character as a Kenku who can't even really explain his background and doesn't remember it. You know. Maybe he went on a boat oh. to assassinate a guy, right? And he got shot full of arrows. And then he finally gets woken up, and, you know, but he's still a Kenku, so he can't even talk that well. Oh, my God. And taking a feed or something like that where he's at, you know, I think, let me see here. Or is he able to talk to, I think they have an ability where they, they're able to, like, um, but they also have a, they have a, they definitely have an ability where they're able to, like, throw um, their blades later levels are able to throw it and kind of teleport to there. And that's also something Josh, where you could have like a little bit of a, uh, night crawler esque. You can throw it and then teleport to wherever you, your blade hits. Or, yes. Yeah. Where and I don't at. think that's limited. Correct. I don't think there's any limitation to that. Uh, doesn't, I don't think it's like so many times per day or whatever. I think it's just like ad hoc. I'm not sure. Oh no. I think you get, I think you get specific dice and you can use one of the dice for it actually. So you, you are limited to that. Right. But um, the teleportation, you get better attacks, and you're able to become invisible just like using like the psychic weave, like that kind of thing is awesome, and um, I love it. I just I think it's such like a neat thing to have like this guy, and you're like, where's your weapons? And boom, like this little purple blade just coalesces out of nowhere. Is that um, what uh, Vex or is it Vex or Vax in Vox Machina is played by Liam? I don't think so. His- his rogue, he can like summon his daggers. I think that's a specific dagger. That's just a specific oh, specific that dagger. Would make sense. That's a magic dagger that he has because gotcha. they've already got magic weapons at that point. Right, right. So I love that one. And then the the next subclass I'm going to go to is the Inquisitive, and the Inquisitive is very much what I imagine like a Danny Ocean or something to that effect. Like they have the like they're able to hear deceit. They've got an eye for detail. They can tell how somebody is you know at fighting. They can gain advantage from little things like that. You're able to um, you know. Uh, spot all types of, of different little things. And so I, I imagine like if you wanted to have like a kind of like a mastermind character, essentially, you know, and I think there is a mastermind class, but yeah, the, the, this, this could kind of play into similarly to a, if you wanted a um, Sherlock Holmes character. Yes, yes, that as well. Right. If you had a Sherlock Holmes, a, you know, you were, you're, 
you know, previous life was a private investigator of some kind, or maybe you, you worked for a king Ooh. in some kingdom. You, you know, just did it for me right there. That's, that is very good. Cause you know, especially like all, uh, like, uh, who is, who's the guy, who's the guy that played Sherlock Holmes with, uh, Jude, not, is it Jude Law? Yes, but Iron Robert Man. Downey Jr. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. played Sherlock Holmes. And I like those movies. Oh, me too. And he had a, it was really cool because, you know, you get the slow motion things. And when, very much in The Inquisitive, you see some of that, like where he's able to, like, analyze see, the situation. Analyze the situation and go from there. Right. That's cool. It, hmm. Well, okay. I'll add it to the list. <laughs> yeah. And so the, just the, the Inquisitive and the Soul Knife, there's a swashbuckler, you know, mm-hmm. I can here's a character right here's a character idea as a swashbuckler now the swashbuckler has this ability you know the obviously the name is what it is right it implies a pirate it implies a pirate or you know i don't fencer someone fencer like somebody that's a little bit like you know who's maybe a little cock hat imagine like a tabaxi swashbuckler with a little so puss in boots yes that's exactly (laughs) where i'm going with a rapier you know you could essentially if you wanted to play puss in boots you would play a tabaxi to actually swashbuckler and you could do that or you can just make up your own character completely out of your own head and Mm -hmm. that's what we also encourage but so rogues super good at doing things experts at a lot of different things um and really one of the the best characters to like best utility characters to bring to a party definitely it's it's one of those things that you can tell a difference in your adventuring party if you had like with a rogue and without a rogue very Especially so. if you're like going into a lot of buildings and searching for treasure and stuff, you you can kind of tell that difference. Yeah, very very much. And then you know, obviously they're the ultimate. Like, hey, I'm I'll sneak in, I'll find out. You know, right? I'll go recon the area and see what's going on. The next class, sorcerer. Yes. Ooh. The Doctor Strange of classes. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Yeah, they're you know they're very. Um, well, he was the Sorcerer Supreme. He was the Sorcerer Supreme. Time till... I, what I saw somewhere, though, is that I think I was looking at something, and like they, when they built him, they built him as a wizard, I think. But mm. like a like a like a the guy like one that can stop time and do all that kind of stuff. Yes. yes. So versus the actual sorcerer himself, but the sword there is one that sounds a lot like like him. One of the sorcerer options, right? The the one that where you have like the clocks and clockwork all the, soul, the clockwork soul. That would be it. Yeah. So sorcerer is one of my favorites. I think it's neat. You don't have access to as many spells or that type of thing, but as the the you got um, a good bit of spells on the sorcerer handbook. You do. You get a good deal of spells. You just don't learn as many. Like you don't have oh, as many total, right, right. which is which is fine. I think if you're a DM and you have a sorcerer, you should probably give them a few extra spells. Because if a bard can have more spells than a, <laughs> a sorcerer, then that's just kind of sad. I think. So the sorcerers carry a magical birthright conferred upon them by an exotic bloodline, some unworldly influence, or exposure to unknown cosmic forces. No one chooses sorcery. The power chooses the sorcerer. Oh, mysterious. Very, yeah. So, you know, something in, in your background has has given you this just innate ability to cast magical spells. You didn't have to go to a school. You didn't have to right. study. There, You were just kind of you like. You didn't even necessarily have to, you know, give your soul to a, a demon of some kind or some type of pact, anything. That comes later. It is. Um, the, the sorcerer gets this. You know, my first subclass that I really like and we have a character that plays it in our campaign is the storm sorcerer yes because 
Tempest Cleric, Storm Sorcerers, you know, just cool. It's cool to have that power when of, like, you lightning. When you freaking call a lightning bolt from the heavens down to strike your enemies, there's few things cooler than that. Yes, there is very few. Th- it, it, it is super neat. I love it. I love the way that uh, Matt plays the character in our game. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a sailor background. I'm not going to get into his background because you don't know what his history is, and I don't want to do that to you because yeah, there's yeah. some mystery to that. But, you know, he has a sailor background. and something in his past, right? inflicted this on him and he slowly over time he learned to master some of it and now he's a, becoming a very competent spellcaster right and you know just the abilities that you have like being able to like at first level you have like a little bit of like a get out of dodge where you're able to fly if you cast a level spell over first level or higher right mm-hmm. if you cast like a uh burning hands or something to that effect you're able to to fly 10 feet in the air so you know there's a lot of utility that it can be you could be like fly over their head maybe you would right. fly to a ledge Right yeah, on top of a, a building, yeah, just to get out of their reach. Yeah, like there's there's so much utility in that, and I love that being like having low hit points at, as a sorcerer. It's nice to be able to get out of there. You know, sure. where you're being able to being able to like you gain languages. Those are always fun for RP. You know, you gain oh, primordial. Yeah. We're able to speak. It's, primordial consists of four different languages, so you get kind of like. That, four different things. That's what that. a really satisfying thing in D&D is when you, you know, you've been playing a campaign for a while and you come across some kind of obscure creature or bad, you know, villain of some kind and they start, you know, muttering to you in this really obscure language and, you know, no one knows what's going on and they think they have the upper hand and the DM asks, you know, do any of you speak primordial or celestial, whatever this obscure language is and that one person's like, I do. <laughs> I know exactly what they're saying. I know exactly what they're saying. Yeah, I, I can, and, I'm, and I'm, maybe I haven't got a feet. I can read their lips, you know? Right. <laughs> that is fun. That is fun for you guys, because you know, it is something like, you know, maybe they're insulting you. That adds like, and then what wasn't even intended to be a fight turns into, right. you know, a 35 minute I heard thing. what you called I me. heard what you called. Yeah, and then it starts a whole thing, and that's the beauty of D&D, and that's why we like it so much. Yeah. yeah the, the sorcerer also, like, later on, they're able to kind of control weather around them. You know, they can control rain in like a certain radius. So like, you know, if you guys wanted to stay dry, you can do it. If you want to control snow, like falling, you could, you could do it as long as it's like in a certain radius around. Right. Um, then the ability I think is really neat too, is when you're casting a spell that does like thunder damage or, or lightning damage, some of that energy is it almost becomes out and you can like actually you like do a little bit of damage to a bunch of different foes around. It arcs off onto other people. Yeah. Right? Which I think is super neat as yes. well. Uh, obviously being able to fly, super cool that that comes at like a later level right where you're able to just take off and fly because you have the power of wind the wind is you you are the wind exactly and um you know before that too though there is the one where if you get hit you can kind of just like give them a rebuttal with like lightning or thunder damage right and just send them flying back exactly and that's always cool and so you know being storm from x-men i was going to mention that or something she's a good example of a a storm sorcerer yes very much Yeah. yeah and it's just neat. It's just a really neat, you know, and you could play somebody that's like a super primordial thing. Um, you could mix storm sorcerer with like Tempest cleric, right? So Tempest clerics have an ability at level two, um, where they're able to channel their divinity and just roll max damage for any lightning spell. Right. Oh shoot. So So you cast lightning bolt, you cast a high level lightning bolt, and then channel the divinity, even if they save, you're still doing probably 40, 50 damage. Shoot. Right. So you, you have the ability to just do that kind of thing. I think that's an interesting multi-class, you know, where you're like born into it and you start serving a God or something to that effect. And then right. it's two different casting things, but 
there's a lot of RP that can be done. Like oh, the storm sure. sorcerers are just really, really neat. I like that. I like, I've always just been a sucker for lightning damage and oh, thunder yeah. damage. It's it, just like a cool to me, like fire's really cool and I have nothing against fire damage, yeah. but it's just one of those things that's just so done. Like it, it's, it's done so often that, um, I never I, latched on to, I mean, it. I everybody have, else was into, I it. have a parts, a multi-class in a fire sorcery character in one of our things you do, you know, and, and it's fun. I enjoy it for sure. But yeah, there's something, something particular about that, like lightning damage, especially, you know, and thinking about, you know, in alternate ways to use that, you know, you're trying to convince somebody, you know, to let some slaves go or, you know, whatever it may be. And you want to intimidate them, roll an intimidation check, you know, just because you feel like spending it, you uh, spend a spell slot and cast call lightning behind you just as you say, let them go or something. Oh, has to get like, you know, an advantage on an uh, intimidation check. Like that's really intimidating. Yes. Yeah. As soon as you, you know, you command your word, you know, the, the skies grow dark and then lightning strikes, you know, at mm-hmm. your will. There's a few things that can scare people, you know, quicker than that. Yeah. That, I like that. I love that. There's, you know, sorcerers need, and then, you know, getting to the bottom of like why your powers are what they are too is fun. That's a, that's a fun, you know, DMs should always be looking to, if the, if the player's up for it, some players don't want to write a big backstory. Some players don't really want to explore their own character. They just want to, I'm in the game. I don't really want a lot of attention. Right. Right. That's fine. But as a, as a DM, you should look into it and it seems like they, they are, then you should maybe start to explore on that some more and yeah, give them sure. some things that like, why do they have this sorcerer power? And again, if you've got a DM, you know, that's worth their while, you know, I'm sure that, you know, if you talk to them, they'd be happy to help you, you know, expand your background and help you come up with, you know, ways to connect it in with a story and to come up with even characters from your past. You know, I've already mentioned, like, as a fledgling writer, I like one of the things I like about DMing is it allows me to write a book and I don't have to write it alone. I can set the world. That's a good point. I can give you guys some, uh, you know, problems and then. Really, I don't, I don't have to write the action, you know, because you guys do that yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I can give you subplots, I can give you things of interest, but it's up to you to take the hook on it, and right. it's up to you to like, do you know, do I do I kill this guy or do I let him go? Do I, you know, do this or do I do that? Do we fight these guys or do we not? You know, that's your choice, and I don't have to write that. I don't have to write out an action scene. It really is a choose your own adventure book. It really is. And so yeah. I love that. I love that I can create a world that I like, that I think is neat, put you guys in it and say, all right, set you free, set you free a little bit. Yes. Yeah. See what, see what you make of it. Yes. In this playground of uh, the world you've made. And with that said, I, I want to, I want you to also like my world and I want you to be involved. Oh, of course. And you know what? You get to help me world build a little bit too. If you have something really interesting. It's true. Or not even, you know, if as long as you have something that you like, I'm not going to build like a whole gingerbread, you know, the, con- the gingerbread, gingerbread house kingdom. kingdom, yeah, in my mm-hmm. world. But if you, but what about the gumdrop buttons? <laughs> the gumdrop. What about them? Yeah, hey, can't forget the gumdrop buttons. Maybe it'll be like a micro world, like a little like, teeny tiny world. Oh, the the big bad villain. The big bad. You villain. go into the gingerbread, you know, town, and you talk to the tavern keep. You know, ask if there's any trouble amidst. And he just kind of leans in close. Do you know the Muffin Man? And the then, one that lives on Drury Lane. Exactly. We know the story from there. We do. So <laughs> I can put you there if you want. So the next the next subclass that I'll bring up um, is the Shadow Magic subclass for Sorcerer. And this one's just cool because it, it you get kind of like this just dark, um, like, you know, ominous type of thing. 
like you're cold to the touch, your heart never beats, you know, you're able to see really far. You can cast darkness on yourself and see inside of it. You can, you know, magical darkness. You get this like kind of like hellhound type thing that's, you know, follows you around and obeys your command. And just like a shadow monk, you can kind of zip from point to point in the shadows. And so you embracing the darkness, like you could be somebody that like, ah, you know, like I, maybe my parents worshiped uh, uh, the goddess of the moon or something like that, you know, and I've got this, maybe it's not a hellhound. Maybe it's like a cute little puppy dog, but I like this one because you can get kind of like this really edgy, edgy sorcerer, you know? Right. You could, you could make an emo sorcerer if you want to. (laughs) Yes, very much so. Very emo sorcerer. You know, if, if they had any ability in Marshall, you know, imagine them cast, like imagine them like, cupping their hands to make a shadow or reaching over to a wall where there's a shadow and casting shadow blade. And as they right. pull back, you just see this blade as they, emerge. As in the their blade hands. emerges between the buried and me starts playing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah, it's pretty epic. So it's interesting class. I think it's just one that I, I would have a lot of fun in is why I brought it up. I think some of them like the, the draconic source, the, you know, the draconic sorcerer is cool. Um, the, the clockwork souls. Eh. Um, right. Yeah. My particular one I talked about that I play is, is it, um, it's a, it's from a different book. It's not from the uh, the base um, subclass and things, but it's the Phoenix Sorcery. Mm-hmm. And that one, you know, you've got this uh, spirit of the Phoenix within you that that's what's where your magic is channeling from. And, you know, the way that I'm playing it is, and I know often a lot of the way a lot of people play sorcerers is they have this, you know, growing surge of magic within them that they're always, you know, trying to stay ahead of to keep control over before it consumes them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the concept behind my Phoenix sorcery, you know, as this flame grows hotter and hotter, you know, my power becomes more unwieldy. Uh, and you know, I, I haven't asked you this yet, Josh, and you don't have to tell me if you don't want to, but with your Phoenix sorcerer, do your tears have magical healing properties just like Harry Potter, the, the Phoenix from there? Well, I didn't know that was a thing. So I'm probably going to say maybe. Ooh, so I just got to make you cry. We'll see. I might make that. That's might be canon now. I'll have to think about that. So speaking of edgy, mm. we're gonna get into oh, the next oh, class, yes. which is the edgiest of classes. Edge, and if you guys board. don't have bandages handy, grab them because you might just get cut. Because we are walking the razor sharp edge of the warlock. Warlock. The warlock is made through a pact. They gain their magic through making a thing, making a pact with another entity. And there are numerous like mm. subclasses for that. Um, the actual description reads the warlocks are seekers of the knowledge that lies hidden in the fabric of the multiverse through packs made with mysterious beings of supernatural magic warlocks unlock magical effects, both subtle and, and spectacular. So, so they're from the multiverse as well. Indeed. I, I think warlocks are pretty cool. Originally they were one of the classes that I, I didn't have any interest in. Um, there, there are another one I haven't because I know there are so many options in a little bit. We've talked about them, you know, the different uh, things that they can, their um, invocations. Yeah. So the warlock has, they, they make a pact with an entity, right? And there's certain, like maybe it's the old one and you decide who the great old one is. Maybe, you know, a lot of people go with like Cthulhu or something to that effect. Yeah. But you can Stanley, you know, it could be anybody. It could be anybody. <laughs> yes. It could be anybody. It could, you know, something that's out there is usually like some type of ancient madness. It's obviously somebody is like powerful enough to grant you magic that you're able to cast. Against spells. Stanley. But yes. anyway. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, he, he gives you webbing. Spider-Man warlock. Let's do it. 
In Excelsior. <laughs> so my, the first subclass I like, and this is from the, um, I think this is from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. So this isn't one of the base classes you get in just the player's handbook. And it's kind of like one of the more popular ones. It's kind of the one that everybody plays if they want to play a martial um, warlock, and that's the Hexblade. So the Hexblade gets their power from like a sentient weapon, like a magical sentient weapon with like, you know, powers from like the shadow realm or something to that effect. It grants you power, you know? And mm -hmm. so, you know, I have a character that I played for like a, a couple of camp, like episodes of a campaign before the campaign got shut down where I, you know, my character was part of a military order who were all hex blades. And, you know, he, they would cut their thumbs and bleed onto the weapon as part of their pact. And then the weapon would give them power to like defend. It was like kind of like a weapon of the kingdom essentially. And he played with like a shatter Kai, um, Warlock. He's right. a Shatterkai elf. So he, he already comes from like the shadow fell really edgy, really dark, but they get really cool powers. They get really, you know, it's fun to play as them because you can really have a powerful martial class because instead of using strength or dexterity, you can use your spell casting modifier as charisma for, and you, you know, who doesn't also want to like have a weapon that you can just appear out of nowhere. You very summon, similar. Yeah. Very similar to like, we're talking about with like, um, Vex, yes. you know, you, you if you want to have a long sword that just appears out of shadows, you shake your hand and there's a sword, you know, and, and that's you know useful if you know you were to be captured or something. They can't really take that away from you. Yep, they, they definitely can't take it away from you. You get a list where you get a couple these spells. The, the, the problem is it's kind of like a um, a trap. Some of the spells that you get as a warlock, you can only get to choose like one spell per level, I think, or two spells per level. Um, I think it's just one, and you, you, they, they give you these spells that like, Hey, these, this is like extended spell list to choose from, but they don't, most people, when most other classes, when they give that to you, they just put the spells in your thing. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, you'll get these at different levels. Mm -hmm. These ones, you just have to choose against all the other warlock spells. And so right. they can be kind of tricky sometimes, but, um, you know, being able to revive somebody, like being able to like turn somebody into a zombie being able to do the damage with the charisma modifier and then matching that with some of the invocations where you have like Eldritch smite or something to that effect where you can like do significant amount of damage uh, with like a single blow mm -hmm. is it's just a lot of fun. I, I like the, I like the idea of it. You know, my guy had like a thunder step and he also had misty like a kind of like a shadow step as well. So he was able to move very quick across the uh, battlefield and he had a little double scimitar and was very, it was my, my take on a really edgy dark elf or nice. sorry, uh, Darth Maul. Oh, right. That's yeah. cool. So I like that one. It was fun. It, it's an interesting one to play. Uh, most people just multi-class into it, especially with Paladin. Um, I don't have anything against that, you yeah. know, whatever. If, if it makes your character more powerful, I will say this though. I think it is important that you play into your oath and your pact. You know, the, it, it can be, what if the pact is wanting you to change like, what your actual oath is. They're two or opposing forces pulling they, you they in different directions. Be. They can be. That's yeah. right. You know, you could have entities from like the same kind of thing where you maybe make your oath to one organization and then there's a, a person in that organization that grants you powers, but you know, they can be opposing things. And I think there can be like an interesting dichotomy there where they start to pull you in different directions and you as a character have to really decide what you want to do with that. True. That could lead to some interesting character development through a, uh, through a campaign though, having, you know, trying to make those decisions that kind of renegade and paragon sort of dichotomy there. Yeah. How do we keep it going? Um, the next subclass for them is the, that I really like is the celestial. 
Right. And this one's neat just because you get some cool, like, utility spells. So a lot of my secondary classes are more utility oriented. And this one, get, you have the ability to heal people. You get some spells from the um, from the, the cleric spell list, which are really good. Uh, things like Guiding Bolt, you know, like, you automatically, you know, as a warlock, I'm not really going to, we're not going to really explain spell slots in this, but the warlock always casts the most powerful, they, they, don't, they only have access to powerful spells for a short period of time in the day, essentially, or they can only cast so many spells in a day versus other casting classes, mm-hmm. but they always cast it at the highest level that any other class could cast at there, right? So if you're a fifth level warlock, you're going to be, the, 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 you can't cast a spell lower than third level. Right, it's at third level. It, it automatically every time. So you know there are some spells like guiding bolt, which clerics might not want to use at like a higher level. Mm-hmm. And you could really just, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna throw this guiding bolt in there. I'm gonna do a ton of damage with like a fifth level or sixth level guiding bolt. Right, and those are cool. It, it, there's that's also just a fun one. Like maybe you made a pact with an angel, or make a pact with some type of like you know other angelic entity. Um, right, and that's where you get your power from. And you don't have to be as edgy now. So. Hexblade, really edgy, dark shadow, blah, 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 celestial, light, happier, yeah. a little bit better. You know, exactly. Maybe you're a doctor, you know, and to save somebody, you made a pact with with a with somebody who was like an angel in disguise, touched by an angel. They were in town. Hey, there you go. And they, you know. They or, you know, you had a near-death experience. Ooh, I like where, that. Where, you know, you, you died at some point and came in contact with these, you know, heavenly beings. And you talked to one of them and you're like, hey, you want to give me some awesome powers? And you're like, sure. Just like that. Yeah. Nothing in return. No, that's all it takes. Warlocks should have something they have to do in return. And that is important. You know, you you should talk as your DM, you should talk to your warlock as the entity, as their packed entity and and try to like, Hey, you're you're not on course, you know? Mm. And you know, if you need to take their powers away and make them class as something else, remember you're working for me. You're working for me. Listen here. See, like there's the, the scar face, the, the, who was who, not Al Pacino? I'm talking about like the 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 gangster Scarface from uh, the 20s, 30s. Anyways, baby Al Capone. I don't know. Al, well, that's what I'm saying. Al Capone. You could be like yeah. the Al Capone uh, entity. I like the one. There's there's one I've, I'm thinking about creating that I've seen before, and I don't like the way it was done, but I'm interested in doing it. And it's where your own you're your own patron, just from the future. Oh, and you're shoot. like bestowing powers to your younger self. You know, I think that's an interesting. That one. would be cool. Yeah. Oh man! And then you could take them away from them for like a short period of time, so they have to grow, and that's really you. Right. So I like that idea. I want you to make better decisions now than I did when I was in your place. Well, I remember I needed this. You know, like yeah. I, I was there. I I was there, Gandalf. Exactly. I remember. <laughs> and speak. Hey, speaking of Gandalf. Oh, true. We're coming to our last class. Yeah. And it is the Almighty Wizard. Wizards. Yes. You're wizards. A wizard now. You're a wizard, Harry. Wizards are like the preeminent magic users, right? Oh yeah. They are smart. They use intelligence. They they love spells and they love learning spells and they they're they are out there. They are just consumers of knowledge. Wizards are supreme magic users defined and united as a class by the spells they cast. Drawing on the subtle weave of magic that permeates the cosmos, wizards cast spells of explosive fire, arcing lightning, subtle deception, brute force, mind control, and much more. They have the ability to learn more spells than any other caster. Mm-hmm. They have the ability to cast some of the most powerful spells in the game. Yes. And they're able to recover spells. They're able to cast more spells in the day than most people are. Right. But they're also a real squishy. Really squishy, which is fine. You don't want to be a sorcerer 
that's in combat or do you well, maybe we'll come to that in a second a wizard a wizard oh yeah <laughs> well yes you don't want to be a wizard that's in combat and in, in hand-to-hand combat for the most part that's not your ideal place to be yes. and you know this is one of those things where i talk about that you should start at level three for campaigns because if you had a gandalf-esque character and they weren't going through some type of rebirth right but they're just like they're I'm playing the wizard with the pointy hat and the long beard and I'm starting at level one and I'm supposed to be this old dude. who's like a master of magic, but I'm level one. I don't know anything. Right. Right. <laughs> so you should at least start at level three where they've got a little bit better, like grasp on things and they've at least learned what their subclass is. Right. And, um, honestly, you know, if someone wants to play an old wizard, go for it. But you yeah. know, you have so many places you can go with this. There for are sure. so many adaptations and there's so many places to really make the wizard yours. And a lot of the, a lot of them deal with the specific classes of magic, like necromancy or transmutation or evocation, which is like the damaging type of spells. Yes. But there are a few other subclasses which are not school related, right? And the first one I want to talk about is the Order of Scribes. And this is one that um, I think a lot of people overlook. It's, I, I like it because I immediately, when I read it, I had an idea for what I wanted. I had an idea for this Witcher-esque, um, like, you know, the the, the wizards or, or sorcerers from the Witcher universe. Yeah. You know, I, I had an idea for, like, you know, they sacrifice their students, you know. They put them into, like, that eel pit, you know, and they channel their magical energy. And I imagined something similar, but them putting students into spell books. Yes. And you get this spell book that you can like use that you can use as like a, it's almost like a companion. You talk to it and eventually you can like get this thing called the awaken or the manifest mind where you actually are able to like manifest maybe a book, maybe falling text or whatever, some type of like, you know, kind of little, it's almost like you get your own familiar as, a, but it's as a, as a, as a non spell, uh, type of thing. And you, I imagine it's not like, something you cast. It's not something you cast. And it's, it's just your special ability. I, I imagine like a Cortana from Halo, like having mm. this awakened mind who was one of your student, like one of your fellow peers, you know, and they are in your spell book and maybe they appear as like falling texts, you know, right. In like a, in like a vaguely humanoid form. Right. Right. And they're able to fly around and scout for you. They can cast spells from that location. You also get the, oh. you know, one of the early things you get is you get to pull out this little wizardly quill. Like you can just kind of poof, there's a quill in your hand, mm-hmm. right? And it writes in any color. There's no ink needed. And all these other classes for the most part, like if they have a school attached to them, that specific school, it doesn't, it's easier for them to put that magic. It's, it's way quicker and cost less to put those spells in their spell book. Mm-hmm. The scribes wizard, every single school gets that ability. So you're able to shorten the time and cast like, and write things in your spell book way quicker. So between right. those two things, I just, I get the idea of like this, you know, like really innocent dude who's got like, you know, this peer who is like sacrificed and maybe he didn't want that to happen. He's got, you know, this girl he loved or his best friend and they are, kind of like the, the manifested mind that are in his spell book, you know, very, and they're, right. they're, they are there to serve him like a Cortana. And that's an issue as well. You know, he's got his little buddy he's talking to when he's not around his friends and he's able to use it for right. a lot of different things. And I, I really, really like, you can also do like, um, uh, magical scrolls with them. Uh, they're like, one of the, they're the, they're the main person. Like if you want to make a magic scroll, okay. you're able to do that like once a day 
only you can cast it, but it's like an easy way to get an extra spell slot, essentially. Right. To me, wizards are one of those class too that I think fall really good into people who um, are, are like you know being heavy on the RP stuff. I think there's a lot of um, variety and a lot of space as a wizard to really get into some of that um, RP aspects. You know, particularly on you know how you describe you know you're using these components for the spells and the actions you're taking and the words you know the vocal aspects of the spells you're saying and just this whole you know going out to find the materials to write you know to put in your spell book and to write these spells down there's a lot to kind of do, to be said for that and you know obviously you know we're right on the heels of um hogwarts legacy coming out you know the you know wizarding world is very hyped right now and stuff so you know, if you're really into that, you know, wizard might be, you know, obviously an, an obvious great place to start. They're a little complicated to uh, play, learn how the spell systems works, but your DM will help you with that. Exactly. But a, a good DM will, even a, a mediocre DM will help yeah. you with all that. But they can be yeah, definitely very fun um, with all the different schools of magic that you can, you know, tap into. And there's, you know, with the, there's, you know, vast hundreds and hundreds of spells. There's a lot of creativity there as far as how you use them. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we were talking about too, when you're talking about using all of those components, you know, there's, there's two different types of things that you're able to use in, in Dungeons and Dragons to cast spells. There is kind of like that component where there, there are things that you have to use. Like you maybe you pull out like an eel's, you know, tentacle. Right. And a, a feather from a bird. A feather from a bird and you can cast Featherfall. There are also yeah. some things like, you know, when you're casting um, Revivify or something like that where you're, you use a 300. You, you have know, to have a diamond you worth have a diamond 300 gold. Worth 300 gold and it destroys the diamond in the process, right? Yes. So those kind of things are really neat. And I think nobody did that better than Liam from Critical Role with his character Caleb Widowgast exactly. in season two because he didn't go the cheap route and just say, I use my arcane focus. Like he, he, you know, every single time he's like, I pull out bat guano and rub it across my hands and a a fireball emerges. And you know, yeah, like very descriptive in every single spell that's cast. And and I I love that about his character. Yeah. It it was, it was as a listener, very entertaining. It it painted a picture for you, what you were seeing and stuff, which in an audio, you know, format and stuff like that, it's, that's very useful. Yeah, a very, very fun to listen to. So if you've never listened to Critical Role, I, I suggest Critical Role Campaign 2 if you're looking for a good wizard. Caleb Budogast, played by Liam, he's, he, oh, does, for sure. he does an amazing job. Um, I talked about like, hey, wizards shouldn't be fighting in melee, but there is one. There is one mm. that can. Yes. And they are called the Bladesinger. Indeed. And traditionally, they're written as kind of like an elven, like elven-esque, like you're able to channel like this elven-esque music or slack. You know, I imagine it more of like a dance or a kata you know, from like a martial arts thing. Right. And, um, one of my favorite like ideas is like a loxodon, which is an elephant. Oh yeah. The big elephant guy, a big elephant who's doing like all these like really ornate dance moves while holding like a chain flail, you know, and he's spinning it around. And I imagine like the flail being, um, like having like elephants on it and there's holes drilled in certain things that as it, as he's swinging around, it makes different whistling whistles as it's going. And so they have really cool things that they can do. They obviously get proficiency with like a weapon that you normally couldn't get as a wizard. You are able to like increase how hard it is to hit you, which is insane. If you have a high intelligence modifier, you are very hard to hit. 
um, you get you become faster. You are able to you know you get have advantage on dexterity saving throws. And then early, just at sixth level, you can make an extra attack. And not only that, one of the attacks can be one of your level zero spells, one of your cantrips. So you can Man. cast booming blade and hit somebody, and then hit them again. You know, dude, being a wizard and getting an extra attack—that's that's what's up. It's killer. It's it's killer. And so you're able to like you know use use uh, the blade song. You can use your reaction to like expend one of your spell slots and reduce the damage. Uh, by an amount equal. So if you spend like a fourth level spell slot and you get hit for 18 damage, you can essentially remove 20 damage. Wow. So it's the, it's a cool one. Obviously, you know, maybe you shouldn't do it all the time. You should still have a focus on it, but the idea that you're not just some pipsqueak, you know, that you have the ability to actually do something. You are a battle mage. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like a little bit. And if you multi-class with an Eldritch Knight or something to that effect. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. A good uh, pairing for a multi-class in that just to get some of those uh, blade song features and then to pair that up with something else to just make a a really tough uh, wizard of some kind. Yeah. You know, I imagine, you know, that Loxodon, I always imagined him as like a magical artifact recovery person. So he knows, rather than use all his spells, like, you know, he, he's able to go into a dungeon and he can take on a few zombies or a few skeletons, right? And I just thought of something. Would it, I guess that's, that's something too that could be up to your DM. Um, if you had a blade singing wizard and your race was a turtle. Oh yeah, you're, it, you, you have a, you have, you were so hard to hit. It's insane. Yeah, because like you have your natural shell, you already had an AC of like seventeen. Yeah, and then if you have an intelligence of like twenty, good lord. Yeah, dude, you're gonna and then you cast a shield spell. You have like an AC of thirty. Yes. So that is that is a super powerful class. But yeah, it is. We've obviously gone on for a really long time. We've talked about a lot of stuff, and as you can tell, we love this. It's one of our favorite pastimes. And it's yeah. something that we want to share with a lot of people. I knew going into this episode, it was definitely going to be a, a longer, more uh, in-depth involved one, but uh, I'm okay with that because like you said, yeah, we're both really into this um, and there, there is so much to it, you know, it just by its nature and all the different uh, aspects of Dungeons and Dragons, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. And it's, it's culturally inappropriate for me to hold someone down and like just explain every single rule to them. And like how much fun it is and just try it, bro. Just, just try it. Just try it. Just try it. Just trust me. Just try it. Yeah. You know, roll these dice. Just trust me. But it is so much fun. It is like when you play with a good group and luckily I've, I've only really ever played with good groups. You know, when you play and you're, you're in an RPG session, it's one of those things that we really, nothing else matters in the world. Yes. You are so wrapped up into it. And And just like reading a book. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things like using your imagination. Right. And, and you know, I know for a lot of people, and especially um, even for me, like I was hesitant to it for a long time because it's just the thought of, you know, uh, the act of, of role playing or, you know, pretending to be somebody else like this or that, you know, some people are very hesitant to D and D because it's, you know, they say it's nerdy or it's childish or whatever, but it, that's, you know, if you have any hesitation with that for any of those reasons or any other reasons, I, I would yeah, suggest to maybe try to set some of that aside because I went into it with a lot of that and um, it took, it takes a, a while when you're new to it to kind of get used to, you know, doing that role playing aspect at, and pretending to be this other character. But it, it is really, really fun once you get into it and you start to, you know, get a feel for what this character acts like and sounds like. And, you know, you get to take a break from, you know, the 
toil and trouble of you know your daily life and just escape to this fantasy world and go on an epic adventure you know grand scale and it really it's really led to a lot of good times with some friends over the past couple years that we remember specific moments and we're creating these memories together and you know every week we look forward to the next time we get to play because we get to make these new memories it's one of the funnest things we do you know video games are fun i love video games i love reading books i love watching new movies but yeah you can make any of those things like we talked about earlier there's a star wars you know we talked about last week there's a star wars 5e where you play like star wars stuff you can build this system into a bunch of different things cyberpunk whatever and be able to play these cool classes or whatever yeah even if you don't worlds even if you don't like the fantasy setting you know elves and knights and wizards and sorcerers yeah, make it sci-fi. Make it, you know, we, you have a crew that's on a spaceship traveling the galaxy. You've got lasers and, you know, all kinds of futuristic stuff. I love it. I think it's one of the funnest things to do. And I will say, you know, going back to your RP thing, going, you know, role-playing, I think there's, there's on the other hand, too, if you do get into it and you're so into it and you're really good at RPing and you find that there's somebody else out there that's not doing as good a job or they're, they seem kind of scared about it, just encourage them to do it. Yeah. And don't, don't, don't let be it, pushy, don't but, be pushy, but let them, and then also give them a time to shine. Like maybe give them, maybe ask them the question because they're the person that doesn't talk a whole lot. You know, maybe they're just yeah. looking for that. Cause just like anybody else, you know, even we're RPing as these people that we aren't, we still bring a lot of ourselves with it. And so if somebody is shy, make sure that, you know, we are, you're doing a good job of like helping them to want to play it. Right. And another thing I'll bring up too, as a DM, make sure that you're doing a good job, uh, DMS and other players that we're not like, you know, there's a lot of women that are playing it now that are getting into it. And we've been really lucky because we've had really good people, but the, and make sure that if you're a DM or if you're a player and there's somebody being creepy with somebody else, it doesn't have to be a female, but I think females are one of those people. They've been gate kept at the, at the geek world for a while. Right. And this, so, and now, now we're seeing this resurgence that you see, we're seeing tons of, of girl gamers playing video games online. We're seeing lots of people getting into like dungeons and dragons or, you know, really opening up about their their other fandoms like their book fandoms and stuff and, right. and they're kind of like the one experts in those fields a lot of oh, times that sure. we've been, you know that some people oh, oh this is on tv now i really like it but these people have been on top of it for a long time make sure that you're not being creepy you're not you're not allowing someone to be a jerk to someone exactly. make sure your dm's not being a jerk to someone and if they are dump them right and you, or if a group is horrible and they're toxic just yeah, get see, out of if there. you're in a game that yeah that has any kind of toxicity to it or people are you know just not they're not doing good and you they, you don't have to stay in it no and this is one of the more welcoming like fandoms quote unquote that i've i've found uh i talked about in my top 10 video games episode episode two i talked about the squad you know right. it's a pc game and there's a little bit of rp it's not really rp but you have to talk to your friends yeah. you have to talk to these random strangers and if you just tell them like hey i'm new tell me what i need to do they will guide you. And the same thing with, 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 um, Dungeons and Dragons. This is not one of the, I this don't, don't be scared by what I said earlier about the, the things that can't happen. Cause I've never, I've never run into it personally, but I know other people yeah, same. have. I've heard of it, but I haven't even, I haven't ever experienced it myself. And so you know, it's just a word of advice. You know, if you're male, female, whatever, and you want to get into Dungeons and Dragons, there's a place for you. There's a table for you, you know, go on roll 20, go look, you know, look for open games, you know, apply for them, you know, or send the person a message and see what you think. Yeah. And 
you know, this is also one of the things, you know, we are planning on talking about all kinds of stuff on this podcast. So many yeah. different things, you know, martial arts, paranormal books, video games, movies, whatever. Yeah. Right. You know, TV series. But we're planning on in the future having an ancillary related podcast. Yeah, some supplemental that, content. That is just Dungeons and Dragons. It's a, running a campaign. Yeah. A long form campaign with a custom world where that you guys can also dive into and play, you know, maybe play along or play on your own in the future. And I think that'll be fun and hopefully a way that you guys can connect with us. Right. That's one of those things where it opens opportunity, you know, if you're a, a subscriber on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash geek ETC podcast, you know, well, uh, once we start that uh, campaign, you know, we'll have a feature in there that if you're, you know, a certain level patron, you know, your name, you know, what could be an NPC or a character in the campaign, which yeah. is always awesome. I w- you know, I think a giveaway for like Patreons as well. Like I'd be happy to design a one shot and play them for patrons. Yeah, I true. think that could be interesting. That could be play awesome. with me and you both, you know, you could. I could, you could run a game or I could yeah, run a sit game in on one shot. sit in on one shot, like as a, like almost like a giveaway. That's awesome. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, hopefully you found some of this entertaining, some, you know, it's, it's remember all, as always geeky DC is two best friends who've been best friends for a long time talking about things that they enjoy. And we hope that you will continue to follow us, that you'll go to geeky DC podcast, uh, or at geeky DC podcast on Instagram at geeky DC podcast on Twitter. Right. Um, and YouTube as well, youtube.com and youtube.com. There's some gameplay footage out there now from Josh for the Hogwarts gaming and yeah, Hogwarts legacy, Hogwarts legacy. And you know, we are, we are in this for the long haul. We, we really want to hear from you guys more than anything. We want to know what you like. Cause it, it's nice when people that you listen to on your daily drive or on your road trip or while you're working out or whatever, when they connect with you and we're not, we're, we're not special. But we, yeah. we we want you to feel like you are. There you go. That's what's up. But yeah, that'll do it for uh, this week. Um, we'll be back next week. With some new topics, some new discussions, some new uh, geeky things to dive into. Just make sure we, uh, we team up together. Geeks uh, fight better together. We do. Keep geeking out.